At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Blair Ledoux, Boaten John, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Patrick Randolph, Dinty, Eric Canales, Frodo NL, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vemke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Ken Riker, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Richard Lorbieski, Jenna Farron, Ron Bob Inman, Alan Murphy, Stephen Wagner, Terry Steen, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the only show in the world featuring David Ladd. It's time to grease your weasel and do whatever yo pleasel, cause we're about to rock your 8-bit world. morning and good afternoon everyone do you like wires do you like to drive if you put those two things together we've got a surprise for you today we are excited as david ladd in a floppy museum today well hello panel how y'all doing out there? Doing great. Hello. Pretty good. Glad Pretty excited. Here. Good. Wait. Well, that's great to hear. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, your uh, guest streamer here for Stevie Stroh, and we are we have an exciting panel for you today. We've got a, a new release uh, coming soon for Nitrous 9, Ease of Use Beta 6. Uh, there is a spoiler alert. It is going to include DriveWire, and you're going to hear more about that soon. I want to point out our, our ease of use skin. There's some tweaking I'd like to do on that uh, on that live chat. It's, get, it's a little busy there uh, with uh, the single spacing, but we'll see what we can do. But let's go around the panel and uh, see who's here and uh, get right into the show. Uh, on our on the top left on the Hollywood Squares, Rick Euland, are you out there and can you can you hear us? I'm not sure how I got here, but yes, I am present and accounted for. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know how we're, any <clears throat> of us are here. But uh, a guy who knows a few things about a few things, uh, he's on Discord. You can find him there. 
Mr. Alan Murphy. Howdy, howdy, everyone. Hope y'all doing all right. Resident Apple guy. He, you know, he likes uh, and knows the 6502, but don't hold that against him. He is here. He is all <laughs> in on Motorola and uh, the 6X09 today. So that's Mark D. Overholzer. Glad to be here, and I love Motorola, too, because without it, there wouldn't have been the 6502. Uh, that's right. See, I knew I knew the Apple community had something to be to to thank thank us for. Uh, but it, uh, a guy, <laughs> I'm so excited. A guy who knows about uh, high scores and how to count them. He's really good at counting scores. You know him. You love him. He's a he's a C- Canadian national treasure and now an international treasure. Nick L. Moroda. Nick Moroder. <laughs> yes, all, we all have the middle name uh, L up here. Yes, it's a Canadian <laughs> yeah. thing. Uh, that's a very nice intro. Thank you very much, Rob. I wasn't sure who you were talking about there for a sec. I, I wasn't sure either. <laughs> <laughs> I just know we have to go live, and I've got words got to come out of my mouth. <laughs> so you didn't mean it at all? Is that what you're telling me? Uh, ask, ask me after the show, and I'll let you okay. know if I meant it. All right. Love you too, man. But we're really excited to have you here, Nick, and we're also excited to have Bill Noble, a guy who's been staring at a lot of code lately and um, and uh, getting us ready for the big news today. Bill, can you can you hear us? Can you can I you sure tear, can. can you tear Hello, yourself? Everybody. Can you tear yourself away from G Cell for one second here? Yeah, I can. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, we're really appreciative of all the work that you're doing, and we're going to hear more um, shortly. Um, a guy who uh, also helps me, helps me and Stevie uh, out often and knows uh, about uh, streaming and uh, and uh, and has an enormous he- headset. It's Mark Bosley. Hello, how you doing? That's true. They say it's not the size of the headset; it's just whether we can hear you. So that's good. <laughs> Or I oh, can hear you guys. Absolutely. L. Curtis Boyle needs no introduction. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Uh, I also want to point out it's not just EOU today. Nick Morenti's will be previewing a new product today, too. So, uh, sorry. Double who? whammy today. Sorry, who's that? Remind me to, to yeah. Remind me to wake up uh, just in time for. Yeah. And it's not a trash can this time, so it's actually something different. So, <laughs> he's he's president of the Nick Morenti's fan club as well. Oh yeah, well yeah, Nick Morenti's is. Yeah, I'll, yes. I'll, I'll have and to. And the single and the still and the single member as well. So I'll, I'll I'll predict it's a new add-on that lets you redirect water through Rally SG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the roads flood with water. It's a new. It's a new twist. <laughs> It's pipe rally pipes. And there's a really big catch there. (laughs) That's an include furniture. Rally float. Yep. Great. Okay, then we beat that one to death. (laughs) Well, I'll have to to Google that guy, Nick Marentis, so I can figure out who that is. But that sounds terrific, guys. Um, Drivewire. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Drivewire comes in. Several forms, and one of the most modern forms is Pi Drivewire. We've got the father of Pi Drivewire here on the panel. It's Mike Furman. Hey guys, how you doing? Been a while. Oh, welcome. I haven't seen you in a while. It's good to have you back. Yeah, just been super busy. So I'm just coming in time for a good long snooze. That's right. 
Not ready for nap time. Okay. Oh, I got to turn it on. There you go. Yeah. See, now. Yeah. <laughs> the feature's so bright, you got to wear shades. Um, ah, little Timbuk 3. Nice. That's right. Is that Canadian? I don't know. I'm I don't trying, know. Trying to bond with, uh, with our friends up north. Um, but back here in Arizona... There's a garage. And it, That's it's a big garage, and it's got lots of stuff in it. And there's a guy who is there, and he loves OS9 and ease of use. His name's Ron Delvo. Hello. Yep, we love pictures too. Pictures and Coco Central right here. That's right. Uh, and there's going to be some fun um, stuff we're going to be able to talk about, Ron. That I think you'll probably enjoy, like MV Canvas. You bet. But, uh, We'll be we'll be talking about that later. Um, something that uh, we'll be perhaps getting to uh, that we have on ease of use is all time use and lots of MIDI stuff. And um, we know our friend in Australia, Danny O'Connor, um, has a lot of equipment that would that will go with those programs. How are you doing, Danny? I'm doing really good. I'm excited to be here. I can't wait to hear David Ladd's excitement on the show today because I believe he's <laughs> going to be very excited about floppies and drive wires and ease of use. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, let's switch over to Coco Man, who knows a few things about a few things about switches. And how many? Nice how many, segue. How many Whoa, that was awesome. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm just in awe of that. And hopefully, hopefully, there's a toggle switch to to end this show if uh, you know if it goes south. But uh, Jason, how are you doing t- today? I'm doing great. I've got my I've got my diet Dr Pepper. I'm ready to go. I've got I've got I got a, I got drive wire cables. We're ready to go. All you need is the David Ladd voice. Oh, that's coming shortly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, I was trying to read uh, on, on my OBS screen the next um, guest on the panel, but I certainly uh, I certainly didn't have to look very hard. Speaking of music, it's the man, the maestro, the the MIDI master, Brian Shubring. How are you doing? So pretty much the usual. I have no idea what he said. Yeah. Uh, so the, so the usual that. gibberish. <laughs> exactly. Was that Jabba the Hutt? I you used know, to be able to oh, hear it. Oh, 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 it was Pizza the Hutt. No, 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 no. I'm doing good. I hope everybody else is doing good. And holiday season is upon us. So let's get, make the Coco sing some uh, Christmas carols. Absolutely. The, the Shoebring family must really enjoy those virtual Thanksgivings <laughs> with you. Yeah, they uh, say, they st- my wife starts screaming, turn down that volume! <laughs> turn down uh, yours first. That's how we make it up. We make it up in volume. Yeah, so... okay. I turned it down. <laughs> well, great. Well, we are a worldwide uh, community, and uh, somebody who is somewhere else in the world, I want to say France, but I'm really, I really can't remember. So, Alan, tell us where you are, and welcome to the show. Alan, Mr. AC 8-Bit, are you out there? Hey, I'm here. Uh, so I came because I heard this was about EOU, and uh, that is episode of uselessness, isn't it? 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask certain people, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, then nice. I'm in the right place. Nice. <laughs> hey, so... You're actually in the States, Alan, aren't you? I am. I'm in Virginia. <laughs> okay. I, I think I'm getting my I'm getting my newer guest. <laughs> you're getting your eight bits mixed person. up. It's eight bits in the basement. I think that's yes. from France. <laughs> France. Oh yeah, from yeah from Ireland. Now he's in I, I, I think he's in Ireland. Is that right? He's Irish, but I think he lives in France. I, I think he lives in France. Ireland, okay. France, go into that equation somewhere. I don't know which side. That's got to make okay. for an interesting accent. Well, maybe maybe we right. can, you guys. Yeah, can. my accent. It's more of of a Southern Appalachian accent. So. Hopefully you can bear it. We we appreciate you being on the show. And uh, if you could move somewhere like France, that'll be more exciting um, next time. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Move somewhere more exciting for next time. Work on that. Yeah, really. Exactly. Develop a German accent or something interesting <laughs> like that. Because these days it really matters where you live. Um, we're all just on Zoom. Yeah, because you can't leave nowadays, so you might as well live somewhere interesting, right? Yeah, it's just all about where you say you live. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, yes, 8-Bits in the Basement verifies Irish guy in France, IB. Ah. But does he really have a basement? Ooh. Yes. Yes, yes. yes. If you've watched his videos, he definitely does. Yes. We're sure it's a real basement and not a basement set or a green screen or something? We're... It could be a very elaborate ruse, but it's convincing. Yeah. Anyway, on to the next on contestant. To the, on. on to the next contestant. I oh, think did we I win something? I think we might have a major announcement, because I saw in the background of Chet Simpson's screen, Digger 4 OS 9. I believe uh, you were about to announce that game, uh, Chet. No? Yeah, that's coming in 2023. <laughs> yeah, Curtis is going to be helping me on it. He's already committed to it. We talked about it last night. So it's, uh, you know, everything's going to go. I greenlit it this morning. We've already got funding. And, you know, it's going to be produced by D's Nuts. Um, really good guy. Um, worked on some projects with him, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and he yes. came through for me. So. I think I yeah. voted for D's Nuts uh, once upon a time. Yeah, my contribution is that I will type in the DOS command. So it, it's yeah. Yeah, he taught me how to do that. I mean, it was just, it was so great. I've never, ever done that before. It was the most incredible experience ever. I mean, typing DOS and just sitting there waiting for things to load. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> well, we will, oh, we, we'll definitely have some trolling today. And, uh, and Chet, uh, in all seriousness, if there are some things that you want to jump in and, and, and cover today, because we are, we are moving fast, uh, please, you know, uh, ping me in the, the Zoom chat or, or let us know on the panel. And, oh no! This is all—all all this is Curtis's stuff. I mean, they—they, you know, Curtis and Bill and, and the other people—they've they've been working for what? I mean, guys, you thirty years on and off. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I mean, I remember when you guys started this. So you know, this is uh, this is a huge thing that the the advancement of OS nine over the years has been you know incredible, and I think a lot of people are going to be seeing a lot of that today. Well, great. Way to oversell it, Chet. Now I feel nervous. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to, you know, give you, a, you know, a good introduction and make sure that everything was covered, so that you know. How well, much is he paying you? Yeah, I'm getting a, I'm getting a free copy of the the ease of use that actually works, not the one that you got. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, good uh, uh, thing I'm drinking straight vodka this show. Next on the Hollywood, <laughs> next on the Hollywood Squares, our, our our next guest has a lot of things that works and picks up a lot of stuff on eBay. 
He's Brian Weasler. Hello. Hello, all. Welcome to the show. Well, great. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Is that all you have? (laughs) Do you have a. That little bit, that too little of commentary. (laughs) He knows how to keep his intro short and sweet so we can get on with the show. Yes, the one guy who knows how to do that. But do let us know, Brian, if you have a a trunk of stuff that we need to, to go through later in the show. Um, I know Very you're good. always always out there. Um, there was some criticism of our next guest in the in the chat, specifically around the trash can icon that he created for <laughs> ease of use. Um, I believe somebody said that it, it looks too tall, and I wanted to know. Oh, I what- corrected Tim Lindner on that because he, he said it looks too tall, and I said, you know, there's so much crap in in, in so much trashy crap in Nitrous Nine. You need a tall trash can to hold it all. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're excited to have you. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, Nick Marentes, we're really yeah, uh, uh, thrilled, thrilled to have everyone, you yeah. on the panel. I was bribed to come here, so here I am. <laughs> well, plus he's got his own announcement, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> you actually got your bribe? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, d- I'll double it if you leave. <laughs> oh, 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 everybody checks for lost. Throwing it down oh. there, Nick. I'll go for the highest bidder. <laughs> Here comes Ferrari number five. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I'm a proud owner of our next guest, one of our next guest program, uh, which was uh, the. <laughs> I knew I, I knew I was gonna screw that up. the The lumberjack program. What was the name, Paul? Tim, <laughs> Timber, Timberman. Timberman, but yes. whatever. <laughs> I, I rarely uh, play it, as you can tell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that makes it sound really good. Yeah. He's also helped make some card games and stuff with his brother too. You shouldn't yeah. forget those. No, we're really He's excited. Also made a major contribution to Digger Three as well. Absolutely, T- Timber Timberman, which I do play, and um, the icons um, that you see in Digger Three. Those are Paul. Paul's uh, creations, as well as other many, many other projects, Downland Two, uh, Buff Commando, the list goes on and on. How are you doing, Paul? It sure does. I'm doing. I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. I just have one word for you, uh, Paul. Um, popsicle stick. <laughs> he knows that's a trigger word for me, right? Yes. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Yes, and I think you you were making some interesting icons uh, last night on Discord, and they were they were kind of a Rorschach test. So whatever you saw <laughs> is uh, <laughs> said a lot about the, the the viewer, I guess. What's the Rorschach test? A Rorschach test. Rorschach? It's like the no, I do- said Hor- Rorschach. That's it. That's it. There you go. <laughs> Oh, a quick mention from Frodo, and I actually watched his stream this morning. He was streaming Coco Games this morning on his Mister on Twitch, and uh, he played the Timberman Christmas Edition as part of the stream this morning. So, cool, very cool. We have the Simpsons on our our show. Excellent. Um, well, we're excited. I mean, what can we say about our next panel? Um, I overdid the the last time I hosted. I overdid the intro, so I'm going to just allow the man to speak for himself. David Ladd, are you out there and are you excited? Why, hello, Robin. How are you all doing today? Are we ready for the ease of use introduction today of Beta 6? Are we ready for DriveWire? Are we ready for all the hard drive 
goodness? Are we ready? We can't even imagine the uh -oh. fun stuff. Oh, yes. Are you ready, Nick? Oh, Nick. Oh, please say you're ready because I am. Let's all go. Yes, let's go. Okay, I'm done. I'm not ready anymore. <laughs> drive wire. Wow. Drive wire. <laughs> TTA. I think I'm I'm Dr. On Pepper one. was a double that last time. <laughs> am, I, am I still on? <laughs> what? Are you hyping or not? <laughs> no, I, no, I stopped the stream. The show was over after that comment. <laughs> That's a mercy killing. Absolutely. Well, great to have you here. And um, Terry Steen is an author of uh, Color Computer Programs for the uh, Tandy Color Computer. How are you doing, Terry? And welcome to the program. Hey, doing pretty good. You guys are uh, officially... Uh, now my COVID-19 isolation therapy group, so <laughs> I hope you don't mind me forcing you into that role. Well, Glad well, we could be of some value to somebody. Year 2020. Yeah. That was a terrible choice. <laughs> <laughs> he chose poorly. <laughs> well, I will warn you, Terry, there is no known cure for Coco Talk, and uh, no vaccine is coming. Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, if the, if the issues happen for more than four hours, I remember what to do. So yes, exactly. The show us. lasts more than four hours, so. <laughs> Take a diet, Dr. Pepper, and don't call us in the morning. <laughs> Is it Please. time for a break? <laughs> do we need a pee break already? <laughs> should have gone before we left. Yeah, yeah. should have. Yeah. Told you not to get that big gulp. I crossed my legs. Is that good enough? I don't know. <laughs> Tying a knot, son. I don't know. And moving along. Oh, moving along. <laughs> moving along. Um, my co-producer, Nick Marotto, uh, remind me what we're doing. <laughs> we're going to game. Ga did we, did we introduce Ron Vaux? What? what? Did we introduce Ron Vaux? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where you? Ron's crotch. Where are you sleeping? Oh. You could do it again. Oh, hi. I, I missed. I, hi, everybody. Back here in Arizona, there's a big garage. Nick sorry. pays attention hey, to the show, I was, guys. I was thinking <laughs> of Ron. He should be touched. Hey, you sure it, some of my smoke enough. ain't floating on over there? <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you Am I not big enough on the screen? <laughs> I and now here's me. Ron Delvo's twin brother, Ron. <laughs> That's right. Don. Uh Anyways, Wait a minute. Don Don Hang on, everyone. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, because Nick Marentes didn't uh, notice our introduction, we're going to do Ron's Garage. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed it. I'm sorry. That's, Just don't introduce him thrice. That's uh, Nick's job. That's yeah. Nick's job. Right. Uh, well, we can take we can take like a like a mini break with a with one of one of our older EOU commercials to kind of get our palate wet, and then maybe we come back. And what's what's our first order of business, Nick Morota? I believe we'll be uh, Gimes may have been uh, at uh, the. That's oh. right. We <laughs> that's have a potty we break have... time then, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you can go straight again. into that video right now, and then Ron can go to the bathroom while yeah, we're sounds, so. yeah. sounds like a great I might thing. do the same. Yes, <laughs> yes. We have we have sad news for everybody that uh, there is a new video from Samuel Gimes. Um, so All right. we, let's, oh darn! Let's go! Oh, oh darn! No. <laughs> so let's. You might have to go to the bathroom at that time too, but for stomach reasons. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to reload the bong for that first. <laughs> All right. Well, if we're prepared, 
Um, you know what? Let's just uh, quickly say hi to the live chat, and then we're going to go right into Samuel Gimes. So I just want to say hello to uh, Alan Murphy, Mark Mark B., the, re the rest of the panels out there, Kevin Holloway. How are you doing? Uh, we've got uh, Mark O. kind of monitoring everything. David Ladd uh, is breaking things in the chat. TJB Chris, who makes those great videos, and he's a he's a big fan of OS9. Um, Eight bits in the basement. We were talking about. We were talking about him. Um, Curtis Boyle, uh, James Jones, I think it is. JD Jones, great, uh, great to see. You. Jim Rye is out there. He works on VCC. Tim Franklin, how you doing? <laughs> Frodo is out there. We got Tim Tim Linder probably playing with Mame, um, and some. Some guy uh, can can make it. Never heard of him. And uh, great, well, Explore VR, Ben Drakes, and Will uh, Marcy Lovell is out there, and uh, the list goes on and on. So we will. Are we ready to hear from Samuel Gimes? Let's do it in three, two, one. Here's your Coco thoughts, everybody. And now, Coco thoughts. By Samuel Gimes. You know Digger and Lancer and Cuber and Zaxxon, Gantlet and Bust Out, Gold Runner and Huyan. But can you recall this most bump and jump game at all? <laughs> The game Color Car Action had a very choppy scroll, and if you ever played it, you know it's not on pole. All of the Coco gamers used to laugh and call it names. They never put poor Color Car on any list of great games. Then one foggy Canada night, Curtis came to say, Color car with a 6309, I'll have you run in double time. Then how the gamers loved it, <laughs> as they shouted out with glee. The game Color Car Action, we are all now devotees. <laughs> I don't remember giving authorization of using my name in a Samuel Gimes segment. But. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What did I miss? in the mail, Curtis. I, I have to say, even, a, I'm sure the 6809 version is great, even a 6809 version that Curtis modified. Uh, I love Color Car Action, but it was pretty much unplayable at the original speed, very slow. So the versions that Curtis had uh, made for both the 6809 and 6309 made it... Uh, uh, a, a much better game. So thank you for doing that, Curtis. Yeah, if you kick in a Coco 3 double speed poke on top of it, it goes really fast. And thank you, Samuel. That was a great contribution. Now, don't forget to send me that check. <laughs> well, that was really good. I love, I love, I love the Coco thoughts. It's a great, uh, great addition to the segment. Yeah, it makes me want to call Curtis Santa Curtis. He brings presents like like 6309 updates of yeah they're actually all due in the summer but it takes me so darn long to make these things and i'm so behind schedule you don't get to see them to christmas 
That's the deck. This game is the reason why I wish I had my Coco 2 uh, this, with the socketed CPU still working because I'd pop a 6309 in there and uh, play car car action. But unfortunately, that's the Coco 2 that died on me. So, oh well. Great. Well, so uh, should we start the official game on segment then? Are we going to, we're going to go into the, or do you want to break first? first, Nick? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm ready whenever you are. You can okay. just roll the intro. We're going to go to high scores first, uh, Curtis, and then we're going to go on to game on. Here we go. High score challenge with Nick Verona. All right, right. Welcome, welcome to another week of results. This, this week, week we played Color Car Action with 24 scores submitted. submitted. Charlie, 1,160. AC Zip Zone, 3,308. Mr. Dave, 3,360. Adam Candy Dragon Guy, 3,394. Photo NL, 3,639. Nathan, 3,881. Mark B, 3,978. David Ladd, 4,515. Marcy, 4,614. Ken Riker, 4,982. Boat of Car, 5,235. R.L. Murphy, 6,369. Just Mike, 6,649. Sleepy Malibu, 7,516. Cat Lord, 7,625. Joshua Craker, 10,016. Tom C, 11,144. Jim Rye, 12,190. Tasman, 23,194. Alfred Boyle, 57,463. Me, 58,214. Canadian Retro Things, 59,453. Flutterball, 64,344. And the number one score this week belongs to David Craker, 116,071. Way to go. Thank, Thank you, you for another, another great, great week of submissions and, and fantastic gaming. Connection terminated. People are saying that there was echo on my voice in the video in YouTube. Uh, uh, okay, that is probably my... I know it's my fault. <laughs> so so do, we, do I want to fix that and maybe re, replay it? I don't know if I can do that during the stream, though. It's probably all right. They can see the score. Yeah, they're saying the echo was on Coco Thoughts, too, so... If we can oh, fix really? it now, at, at the very least. Okay. <laughs> Terry Steen says start over. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's... good day, everybody. Uh, Thanks for coming to rehearsal, everybody. Yeah, I had to, sw- <laughs> I had to switch from our, our rock-solid Mark Bosley platform. Um, so yeah, I, can, think, can I think I can fix think that, though. Um, I just have to turn off... Um, the desktop audio. Just consider yourselves blessed to have heard that twice, because it's so good. Yeah. So we're about ready to start the show. Is it time to push the button? <laughs> All right, I'm going to share my screen. Are we going to go forward, right, Rob? Yeah. As long as he shuts the echo off now, we don't want it through the whole show. So yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm wondering if we just show, guys. I'll, echo, you know, echo, echo. <laughs> oh, Rob, let me know. Do you want to do you want to replay anything? Or are we going to go forward? Yeah, I would like forward. to replay it and figure out if 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 one of you can monitor the YouTube. Let's try to let's try to fix that on um on um I think it's when there's uh there's desktop audio uh give the people what they paid for let's try one more time with coco thoughts see if i can figure out what it is and now 
Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. You know Digger and Lancer and Cuber and Zaxxon, Gantlet and Bust Out Gold Runner and Puyon. But can you recall this most bump and jump game at all? The game Color Car Action had a very choppy scroll. And if you ever played it, you know it's not on pole. All of the Coco gamers used to laugh and call it names. They never put poor color car on any list of great games. Then one foggy Canada night, Curtis came to say, Color car with a 6309, I'll have you run in double time. Then how the gamers loved it, as they shouted out with glee. The game color car action, we are all now devotees. Game on everybody, game on news with Curtis Boyle. Can you hear us now, folks? Hello, stream. Welcome to Coco Talk. Where everything <laughs> runs right. smooth. You guys see Wait. my screen? I mean, it looks like YouTube's running about two minutes behind now. All right. There it is. All right. So uh, welcome to the High Score Challenge results. Uh, and congratulations uh, David Craker for the high score. That was really good. So here's a score, uh, scores back from the day in Rainbow. Uh, Cornwall, Ontario, which is about a uh, half hour, 40 minutes from where I am. Uh, 242,000. That seems plausible. And the Rainbow Review, uh, where they mentioned it was like bump and jump, which is uh, obviously true. And uh, they, they liked the game. So... Uh, Thank you to Canadian Retro Things for your gameplay footage. We'll have this running while we talk about the game. So, funny uh, how uh, the word color is normal. Yeah, it was written by uh, by an American, obviously. That's uh, nope, right. it was written by a Canadian. Oh, uh -oh. then he then he uh -oh. succumbed. He succumbed to the marketing pressure, obviously. Yeah, if I thought he sold it through an American company, so that's it that's would confuse the American audience. They wouldn't know what. Yeah, it they had to send him a note that says, "Fix the spelling. We can't distribute your game like that." That's Actually, right. my personal theory is that, you know, if you see the, the title screen, there's no room to put the U in there. So we just had no choice. It also saved a bite, right? And back then it was precious memory. 
Yeah, so the unnecessary you could easily be left off and was, and history was made. So I learned a minor thing this week when I was, I wanted to play this game in MAME just to sort of uh, uh, see how it compared. And it was actually the original name of this game was Bump and Jump in the US, but it was actually Burning Rubber in Japan. But it's the exact same game. Because uh, when I went to launch Bump and Jump, it uh, was listed as a clone and Burning Rubber was listed as the original. Um, but yeah, obviously this is, this is Bump and Jump uh, for the Coco. That was a game that was converted to a lot of systems back in the day. Uh, as mentioned earlier, it runs a lot better. This uh, a lot better thanks to Curtis's uh, modifications for 6809 and 6309. Curtis, I believe he said this is one of his earlier programs. and uh, One of his very first. It's one of the first two or three I think he did. This is before he even started his own company, Dicom. This is when he was selling through other companies. So, so he probably learned a few uh, optimizations as he became more proficient. Yeah, I mean, I've optimized several of David's games, and then as, as you get further on, it's it's harder to optimize because he started to better optimize himself. Like so by the time you get to like Gamblet Two and stuff, there's not much I can do with it. So, like, what I don't know if you, I don't know if it's too long to talk about now, but like, what kind of optimizations did, opportunities did you see for? Excuse me, what kind of opportunities did you see for optimization in the code? Most of the games that I've done optimizations on are basically for that to have a scrolling because basically you have to block copy memory. Now, most people just use the load A story loop or load D story, which is a little bit faster. <clears throat> but if you do stuff like stack blasting or the TFM transfer memory instruction 639, those are much faster. So basically I just replace those in as long as I can fit them in the same you know, amount of codes that fits into the middle of the program where the original routine is, then I can you know, speed that up. That's what I did with Marble Madness. And But you made the 6809 also more playable. So you did. Yeah, I, I switched it from load D storey to uh, stack blast, mini stack blasting. I did do the full, you know, shutter RQs off stack blasting. I did four bytes at a time, but okay, it kicks in about I don't know, 25-30% extra speed. Because well, not as dramatic as the 6309, obviously. Even the 6809 version is very playable now, as opposed to the original. And oh, I want to give a special shout out to uh, to um, Joshua Quaker for suggesting this game this week. Uh, this is definitely one that I played a fair, uh, quite a fair bit back in the day. So I was really when he suggested that through uh, his father David, I was like, yes, that'd be a great choice. So, so uh, what did you guys think of the game, uh, chat room and uh, panel? I like it. It's 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 always been a fun game. Um... There's kind of a 3D, not, I wouldn't call it a sequel, I guess, but uh, Steve Bjork did one later on that was, you know, kind of like pole position, a 3D look, but you still have the jumping effect where you have to jump over rocks and stuff. Uh, Desert Rider. So it's it's kind of sort of like a sequel, I guess. So that that's, it's kind of cool that it inspired another game too. Um, <clears throat> Back I, in the... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, you know, it's, it's nice and colorful. The graphics are well done. Um, like I said, it was an earlier program, so the original version was a little bit slow. Even on the Coco, but once you got a Coco 3, you could kick the double speed up poke, and then it was, you know, not too bad on the Coco 3, but I wanted to speed it up for everybody, so that's why I did the patch. Back in the day when this was all new and, and you know, everything was so impressive, I remember this game I loved because it had the different seasons represented. So in winter, it was ice, and I thought that was, I thought that was just about the coolest thing. Um, you know, cause like I was a kid and it was, uh, uh, you know, everything was new with video games. So when, when, uh, you have the different seasons, I thought that was a really cool touch. Cause I was actually pretty good at this game back today. I actually made it through, uh, uh, you know, fall, uh, spring, summer, winter, fall and another, you know, uh, this time I didn't do quite so well, but, and obviously those of us who got over 50,000, we cashed in on the, uh, the bonus for not killing cars, which is actually quite difficult. Yes. Especially cause some of the cars just as soon as you touch them, they explode. 
So you have to stay away from those and use the bulldozers to move things out of your way and stuff. And actually, David Craker would have done it twice because he had over 100,000. And uh, he humble bragged that he was trying to get 150,000 and wasn't quite able to do it. So uh, he's uh, learning humble bragging skills from Curtis, which is uh, coming along very well. Yeah, there's the winter. There's the ice. I thought that was so cool as a kid. And I was like, wow, it's like, it takes into account seasons. But, uh, <laughs> I was easily, Apparently you I was had a real-time clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does it know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. So tips and tricks. I mean, the first thing I would say is, of course, the 50,000-point bonus, which means you can't claw, you know, kill another car. That's where you have to start using the speed control quite a bit. So you have to like, sometimes like pull it right back right at the very beginning so you let the cars drive past you and get them ahead. And then you basically try to jump over things so you don't you know, push them into the walls or whatever. Um, some people don't realize this too, um, and I, I know it took me a while to figure this out back in the day, is that you can slow down while you're in midair. So if you oh. think you're going to land on something, you can actually pull back the stick and slow down. Now, you can't speed up, I don't believe, but you can slow down while you're in midair. Oh, I don't know if I knew that. Yeah, this, definitely, this game definitely was for the analog sticks. I was using the Black Beauty again, and it was great. Yeah, I didn't know about being able to slow down in the air. That might have uh, that might have helped. <laughs> oh well, I think you get bonuses too for landing in the uh, enclosed areas in the water. Yeah, you do. You get a uh, thousand on the first one. I don't think I knew that either. I don't think I paid too much attention to score when I played as a kid. I was just playing to get far. Whereas I, I'm, you know, this is a score challenge, so I think a little bit a little bit about score. Uh, Mar Marcy in the chat has a pretty nice comment too. It was challenging and fun. I would never be able to get the 50,000 points. I can't keep from killing all the cars. Somebody has rage, road rage issues. <laughs> but apparently we're good therapy. So keep hang out with us. And we'll well, at least she's taking it out in the game and not on the real, real road. That's good. Yeah. So I just, I guess it looks like there's only three enemy cars on the screen, on the screen at any one time. I just, I'm noticing that. And rocks. Yeah, and rocks, yeah. I got a rock. So, uh, oh, Joshua, Joshua, who's uh, David Creaker's eight-year-old son, uh, told his dad about slowing down in the air, so he figured it out. So apparently, uh, gaming tips, contact Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is a great game. I, I thought it was uh, one of the better conversions. Even uh, I didn't mind the speed as much uh, as a kid, but uh, now that I saw the improvements with the 6309 and 6809, I'm, I'm like, yeah, it's, this is much better, much more playable. Yeah, the 6309 combined <clears throat> with the double speed poke on the Coco 3, I think is almost a little bit too fast. I know the arcade game is fairly quick, but I, I guess I'm just too used to the original well, version. But uh, Yeah, I tried with the double speed poke, and apparently I'm just as bad at whatever speed. So that was <laughs> nice can, to find out. You, you can die faster. Yeah. I was telling Curtis before the show, this is the game I would put a 6309 in my Coco 2, had the one that I have a socketed CPU in didn't die, uh, because then I could play the, play it at even an even faster speed. But and then somebody commented they really like this high score entry uh, screen, which I agree. And I like that it has lowercase. Not many games let you put lowercase in, uh, letters in, so that was kind of a... A nice little a bonus, but I like, like all like other games, it doesn't save your high score anyway. But anyway, please go ahead. I really like their selection idea with the the uh, character set running around the screen. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, because everybody else at that time was basically doing it like the arcade games where you just move a pointer or a square box around the letters and you just rotate through them. But this was actually kind of a, a different, fresh way of doing it. Much faster, much easier. You know how far you need to skip. Exactly. I like it. And no couches. So in the... Uh, no couches. <laughs> Tasman actually told me um, about a little exploit that if you're purely going for score... This would sort of be against the spirit of the competition. And I do apologize, Tasman. I got the video from you, but for some reason, it's upside down. But I was able to do it as well. So if what you do at the very beginning is stay still, this doesn't work 100% of the time. But if you stay still and then let the other cars pass you and hope they get to a point where they can't exit the screen, no other cars will come on the screen. And see, look at my score. Right now, it's 310,770. <laughs> so I got to the point where the cars were just doing that, and I let it run all night. <laughs> and I wanted to see how high I get my score to go. Uh, and so I, I want to give credit to Tazman. He's the one that told me about this. Yeah, and that's Taz, a new one on me. I didn't know that one. Tazman actually ran it in V. Uh, in um, Oh, my mind is blanking. What's the Coco emulator? Um, VCC, thank you. He ran it in VCC where you can unthrottle the speed, and he and he showed and he saw that the score did actually wrap at nine 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 nine. So uh, thank you, Tasman, yeah. for showing that. So that that's sort of an unscrupulous unscrupulous way to get a high score. So uh, it's still running behind me, as a matter of fact. The cars just go back and <laughs> forth, and and uh, yeah. So thank you, Tasman, for that. He's he sort of has a side quest of trying to break our games and uh, and tell me what he finds. So that's everybody needs great. goals in life. Exactly. <laughs> and we can find out how many points a Coco Talk is worth. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I think it sounds. Oh, Terry Steen says a feature and a cheat. Yes. Mm. Well, back if if I could have done this back in the day and got my score in Rainbow, I probably would have gone. I probably would have done it. <laughs> so anyway, so that junk that the trucks dump, we should uh, hex out that icon and replace it with a couch. Oh, that'd be funny. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. There you go. That'd be funny. Color car action, yeah. Coco Fest edition. <laughs> <laughs> no, put in the garbage can. Flaming. Oh, flaming dumpster. Yeah, that'd be good. Dumpster too. fire. Yeah, replace the rocks with dumpster fires, I guess. Dumpster fires would be awesome. So are you ready to talk about next week's game? Sure. Sounds oh, like yes, we'll, we'll, I'm waiting. We'll keep it tight so we have uh, room for EOU. But uh, yeah, so thanks again, Joshua. And thanks, guys, for your scores. So next week's game... Coco three, Coco three will be. Oh, there we go. Oh yeah, that's the upside down video. So I or backwards, whatever. So oh, can anybody can anybody identify this game? That's the white screen game. Spider side, spider side. That's right. Spider side. Spider side. I am not very good at this game, judging by my playtesting. So I don't expect to see me anywhere near the top. But uh, this is a, a an interesting original game. And uh, I thought it'd be a good one for uh, for. And I think somebody mentioned this game. Maybe it might have been Chat. I'm not sure. Mentioned playing this game or mentioned brought up the game's name, and it got me thinking to be a good uh, good game on challenge game. 
the, the controls definitely take getting used to. Yes. 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 Uh, left and right. Left and right to steer up and down to throttle. And so, so if you go to diagonal, mm. you steer and throttle, so you can do tight loops and stuff. So, you definitely want an analog stick for this one. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, where, I, where do we I, get it? Kind of old, but I've never heard of this. Do you have any gameplay video or anything like that so we can see it? Because I'd like to see what it is. Uh, I don't, but it's on, it's, uh, you know, wherever you get stuff, that's what it looks like. It's, and it's, I think it's called spider in the, uh, in the places. So, so anyway, that's the game you can. Okay. So basically you're this triangle, you're the ship, uh, this, these spider things come across and you can't go through those lines, through the trails, but you can shoot them. And the spiders are trying to trap you in a small, so as, so you can shoot the spiders and shoot whatever's coming out and and uh, you can shoot a way to get it to free yourself from small areas that's basically the gameplay yeah as ken can you make it mentioned uh it, it's kind of based on the tholian web episode of the original star trek tv series yeah. oh neat so i mean there's not a lot of rules to it but it's a very uh, i find it to be a very challenging game it's got some pretty good I, sound effects too from what i remember yeah oh yeah it's got good yeah it does so that's our game for the week Oh, was, and, this uh, yeah. was this yes. a rum pack? Was this a rum pack? Yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So thank you to the, thank you, Rob. Thank you to all the submissions and uh, from the great week gaming. And we'll see what you guys can do with this game this week. Okay. Cool. Great. Well, I think we wanted to go right into an announcement. Did we not? From well, Mr. I can do the game on news first, and then we can do the announcement if you want. Just gotcha. to get that out of the way, it's kind of in the same segment. And then we can give Nick some unbridled time. Um, a bit more time to sleep. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, Curtis. Okay, let me share the old screen. There's not too much game on news today or this week, so. Good, good, good. Okay, you guys seen that? Yep. Yes. Yes. Okay, so the first one up is Jim Gary. So we released a game called Mine Escape. And it's a Port of a Dragon 32 basic game that he's ported to the MC-10. Um, not too often we see stuff coming directly from the Dragon, but... Uh, so multiple skill levels. And basically a race to get out in time, you know, to the finish line type thing with a randomly generated maze. So that was Jim's contribution this week on the game side. He actually did an on-game one this week, which we'll cover in the regular news later on. Next up, <clears throat> Cuthbert Dragon added a bunch of more of the Dragon game videos. So this week he added Mutant War, Kung Fu Master, Kamikaze, Ruby Raba, Cosmic Crusader, Galax Attacks, Jaws, Jet Set Willy, Rommel 3D, Galacticans, Rail Runner, and Willy's Revenge. And Willy's Revenge is one I've not seen before, so I was going to play a little bit of a clip of it. That's not the uh, Dragon playing the sound, obviously. <laughs> I was watching this intro screen, and it looks like a shoot 'em up. It's actually like a chase and tail type game. <clears throat> this was a new one on me. I'd not seen this one before, but it's a nice little take on the trailing tail um, snake style game. And I didn't know if there's any of these. Oh, he's even got a new one I don't even have on here bumpers. I don't know, is there any of the other ones you guys wanted to see, or should I just quickly go on? 
Oh. What's Pumpers? That's a Mark Data Products game. All right. Another maze uh, solving game type thing. Oh, Jaws was an interesting one. That's one I was going to show too. You're trying to rescue these. I think they're supposed to be humans floating in the water before the sharks get them. Now, why the water's yellow? I don't know. Maybe the guy saw pipes. I'm not sure. <laughs> but this is one I hadn't seen before either. And the shark comes up and grabs your human and drags them down. So. Help. Now it's just making me hungry. Um <laughs> Anyway, he's, as usual, he's got a lot of interesting uh, dragon games there. And actual gameplay on a real dragon, which is, which is nice. It's not an emulator, so you're getting what it really is. In case there's any you know, <sighs> things between the emulator and the real hardware that's a little bit different, you're getting the legit thing here. Anyway, I always check out his channel while he's doing these because he's got a lot of cool games and some I've never seen before. Next one, this was actually one Nick Morenti's pointed me to because actually the person that made this video actually bought some of Nick's games. So, of course, we have to plug that. You know, this is, uh, you know, part down payment for the next Ferrari. Um, <laughs> but he actually did nice games with Coco. Now, Nick, have you talked to the guy much at all? I know he's from Japan. In fact, you can see he's subtitling the bottom based on that. Yeah, he's from Japan, and uh, he hasn't got a real Coco. He runs a uh, VCC. So... They play pop star. Actually, you can see the bug in BCC with the jittering on the screen. Yeah, the horizontal scroll problem. And then you play Pyramix. Go ahead, Chet. No, I was just going to say, at least they're not in a rush to fix that um, that bug for you, Nick. <laughs> no. Of course, he played Digger 3. In fact, he made a comment in the comments there that this game's free for download. So thank you, Chet, for, <laughs> for doing that. <laughs> Then he kicked back for some Coco 1 and 2 games, which I'm sure you'll recognize. How he got Cave Walker to play with this music soundtrack, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to know his sound too. <laughs> and then he played one of the uh, Coco, this is actually one of the ones on the next EOU here, kind of a sneak preview. Oops, I went too far. This is one of the Sierra engine-based games that was actually a homemade homebrew one. And that music doesn't appear in that game either, but. Good. It was kind of nice. So we, we don't often see people making videos about Coco stuff from Japan. So that was, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Next up, we've got Neil Blanchard. He's got hot off the press and just in time for the holidays, flood it. Now this is an updated version and I can't remember. We did discuss this before what Evan updated in it. But it's basically a strategy game where you're trying to fill the screen with, you know, colors that are connected to the color you're changing. And you try to clear it in so many moves. So this is a new one, and he's actually created with a green cartridge casing to differentiate from the original 1.0 version. He's selling these for $30 with shipping, or plus shipping. Um, so if you want to get the version 1.1, like I said, I can't remember exactly the differences. And hopefully they can send us an email or something to let me know, because I should know. And the last one here for today, this is from Erico. And um, he put up a video showing some of his progress in that semi-graphic shooter that we showed last week that's based on an Atari 8-bit machine uh, using Atari ASCII characters to do it, and he's using semi-graphics. So I'll just play it. It's just a little quick, quick clip. 
I like it kind of flips the missile out and then shoots it off. It doesn't just shoot out the side. It's kind of a neat effect. So that's a work in progress he's doing, and we'll keep we'll keep our eyes on that. And that's, that's it basic. for yeah, and from basic. Yep. Um, that's all I have for Game On News. Uh, I did mention earlier that Frodo did do a live stream. So if you guys are on Twitch and you look up Frodo NL as the uh, channel, he's uh, got his Coco stream. He's done a couple, uh, one or two in the past too, with his Mister. And in this case here, he did a stream for a, what was it, Frodo? About two hours or something this morning, going through a multitude of Coco one, two, and three games. And he was trying to pick ones that were from the Game On Challenge, Nick. So I thought I'd mention that to you too. So. Most of them we've actually played on there, and he was kind of kept playing catch up. And that was a short nap. Ah, <laughs> oh, the real news hasn't started yet. That's just the good game on. Oh news, man. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think we should go yeah, right into Mikey. Yeah, Mr. Morentes, I believe. News was over. Oh. Oh. oh, am I next? Hang on. Yes, you are, Nick. Okay, I just got to wake up. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Let me help you, Triflare, RS-232, TTL. Well, I, I cheated. I made a little video, so I'll start that, then I can go back to sleep. So, uh, <laughs> so a bit of a video to introduce what I've been uh, spending my uh, my COVID year in between doing games. So this is a, a little side project I've been working on. And uh, it's just a show. It's not, it's not a product ready to be released, but I just thought I'll just show it. Christmas is coming. I'll just show up what I've been doing. So wait till I play with the technology to get it all running here. I'll try share my screen. Yep. And if there's... Is that coming up? It's, uh... Are you seeing yep, a black we see the, screen? We see a black screen, yep. yep. All right. Awesome we'll game, the... dude. Yeah, it's great. It took me ages to do this graphics. <laughs> But, I know what uh, you mean. It's just the amount of effort that goes into something like that. I, I wasn't going to re release it until it was perfect. I wanted that no stray pixels. Hey, so, I already yep. did that one. Yeah, yeah. So I'll play the video. Uh, I'll introduce it and I'll show you. Anyway, you'll see. And you can ask me questions later. So here it goes. If it works. <laughs> <laughs> the Coco is a great computer. It was low cost, had a powerful extended BASIC and advanced 6809 processor. When Tandy released the Coco 3 in 1986, some of the original design's limitations were addressed such as better graphics with more resolution and color, faster speed and bigger memory. Unfortunately, one area remained a weak point for the system to this very day, sound. The Coco was never given a sound chip as standard like many of the competing systems of the day. All we had was a single 6-bit digital to analog converter or DAC. In the Coco 3, Tandy did provide a faster CPU and the programmable timer interrupt which went a long way to circumvent some of the limitation. But it did require the CPU to achieve this sound, and one of the biggest omissions in many games is the lack of a high quality musical soundtrack during gameplay. 
Over the years, there have been many add-on sound devices created containing a dedicated sound chip, but these had their problems too. Apart from the added cost of the sound device, you usually required the additional cost of a multi-pack interface in order to have both a disk drive and the sound device to operate together. The lack of a standard sound chip in the Coco has meant support for these add-ons has never reached a high quality. I personally have preferred to support the standard 6-bit DAC built into every Coco so that my games sound the same on every Coco and is available for every user of that system. But I have been thinking about what sound device I would personally like to see for the Coco that would create the sound that I would like to hear with the ease I would like to use. So, as a side project over the last 12 months, I have come up with my idea of a sound device and with the electronic skills of Jim Brain of Retro Innovations, we have created a prototype that brings these ideas together in a device we are calling the Real Audio Pack or RAP cartridge. My goals for this device are 1. Play real music. 2. Be easy to compose. 3. Allow the playback of this real music and Coco generated sound. 4. Be easy to use even within BASIC. 5. Provide the option to put a game in ROM for standalone use. 6. Be usable as a sound card via various programs on disc or tape and seven lastly low cost and affordable. I will cover these goals in more detail after this video. Let me now demonstrate what this card sounds like when applied to my recent game Gunstar.
Okay. So did that come through all right? Did it uh, jitter at all? Or? No, it was great. It was pretty good. Oh, and good I to like work. this thing. All right. So that's yeah. it. It's a cartridge uh, that I'm building up. Uh, it was an idea I've had for some time. Uh, and I, uh, one of the things I wanted to do is uh, have good quality uh, music during gameplay that didn't take up any CPU time but still allowed me to use the sound effects that the Coco that I could do on the Coco using the DAC. And I wanted them to both be at the same time during the gameplay, uh, which it does. Um, so one of the first things I had to do, well, one first thing was to make the, the machine play, make the Coco play MP3 files, which obviously the CPU is uh, way too slow to do that. So luckily there were MP3 modules that you can you can buy and I've included one of those in the design. So that MP3 player is what's playing the music, but the Coco controls the MP3 player. So it knows when to start a track, how to select a track, um, how to adjust the volume, all that stuff. So once you get the MP3 player playing the, the tune you want, then the game can continue without the, the Coco having to work to keep that music playing. All At right, the same question. Time, um, yep, all right, pause all right, it. So, all right. so um, you haven't programmed the existing games to play the extra music, so do you have to, so do I have to buy your game again to get the new features for this card? Uh, well, uh, the plan, oh, this is still, uh, the hardware and everything is still being developed. But my plan is to uh, you set you buy the card. You need to buy the card, and uh, I think I'll probably just bundle Gunstar with the the cartridge, because um, the cartridge will also have some flash memory on board as well. So I can put Gunstar on the cartridge. It'll be a cartridge. You just plug it in, and it'll play Gunstar with the MP3 music and everything. Or you can just have the cartridge plugged in. See if you have a multi-pack, for example, and that cartridge can be used by other programs. So you can program your own games or in basic or whatever to use the card using your MP3 files. So, Any question from the audience? Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, Tim yeah, Franklin says, can the user adjust the mixed music versus effects? Uh, yes, yes. Now, uh, I'll explain that. Um, the Coco, the internal DAC, the 6-bit DAC, I mean, I, I, I write my sound routines to use that. That's what makes all the all the gunshot sounds Q -Q. and explosions that you hear. Yeah, that's right. Um, the MP3 comes in through the cartridge, but you can't have uh, internal Coco DAC sounds as well as sound coming in from the cartridge. It's just the way the, des the design of the Coco is. There's a a little switch or a multiplexer in the Coco that selects one or the other. So that was one of the limitations I, I saw with a lot of other sound cards. You have to devote all the sound coming either from a cartridge or from the internal sound thing. And I wanted to have both. I wanted to have the, the sound or the sound card generating in particular the music um, and, and yet the Coco is still generating the sound effects as normal. And the only way to do that, I figured, was to send the sound effects externally, send it out of the Coco to the cartridge, 
and then the cartridge mixes it with the MP3 and feeds it back in. So I only need to select cartridge sound effects. Uh, and the way I send things out to the cartridge is that the cartridge is also an Orchestra 90 cartridge as well. So it has the DACs, the dual 8-bit DACs that an Orchestra 90 has. So I just redirect my standard 6-bit DAC sound effects to the Orchestra 90 um, ports on, the, on that cartridge. It gets mixed in with the MP3 player, and then it feeds it all in through that one cartridge input, which can then be just routed through the normal sound system of the Coco or... The the the, heart, the cartridge also has an earphone jack, so you could plug it into big speakers if you want. Now, I will mention too, because uh, I was listening to Nick when he was actually creating this you know, over the last while, <clears throat> is that with the Orchestra 90 and even on Gunstar here, he actually has it set for stereo. So if you move to the left, your your sound will pan to the left speaker. Yeah, like if you're well, firing and stuff and move to the right. right. Well, the, M- the MP3s, of course, are in stereo if you use the the um earphone jack on the uh, headphone jack or whatever on the cartridge, if it feeds it into the cocoa, well, the cocoa is only mono. So (laughs) you're not going to get stereo that way. But yeah, if you plug a headphone uh, jack in, you'll hear the MP3 in stereo, in CD quality stereo. And the sound effects, you can route that to the Orchestra 90. And if you set it up in such a way, you can send to a left and a right channel. And all I've done is I've made it so that when your ship is more on the left of the screen, your gunshots come out on the left side uh, and the explosions occur on the right. And if you move move your ship to the right side, it swaps them over. So it gives a bit of a stereo effect there. But, yeah, they're all mixed. Is there an SD card port? Yes. On the MP3 is a little micro SD card. So the MP3 is separate to the Coco, um, it has its own memory on the SD, a micro SD card, and you'll, you have to transfer the MP3 files onto that card. The Coco can't talk to those MP3 files, um, but the Coco talks to the MP3 player, and it tells it what to play in what folder to get the, um, the tracks from. So you can actually load a uh, micro SD card with um, MP3 files, the thing is, you can also you you could also make the card the cartridge act as a proper MP3 player and have all your music on the MP3 player, and have a program that you can load in that controls the MP3 player and plays your music. And uh, once it starts at playing, that's it. Your computer's back to being as before. You can keep programming in basic or doing whatever and the mp3 play keeps playing is it it works by itself by itself then you know the killer feature here would be if you could plug a rom pack into your cartridge and it looked at some magic bite and said oh i need to play this mp3 folder yes yes so there is some uh 512k of flash ram on that cartridge as well so the idea is uh, on that on in that flash RAM, you can copy a, 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 a up to five twelve k of game or whatever on the flash or, RAM, or you can make and, a FP three or MP three manager. Or, or yeah, play. or or that. Hot That's right. Play your exactly. MP threes and switch back. 
And it, it, it'll always start as well. If you if you haven't got a multi-pack and you just plug it in, it will boot that ROM pack and do whatever is on that ROM pack, of course. But, yeah, if you have a multi-pack, you can plug it into one of the slots, and then it just acts as a sound card. So you can write your own software. Um, and and, and it, it doesn't have to be machine language. You can do it in basic. So you just send poke. You, you send the information to the MP3 player using pokes, uh, to tell it to control it basically. So, so what's, you could do, what's the what's the quality of the music that comes out? Oh, it, it's an MP3. It's perfect. It's CD quality in in stereo. So it's forty four k. Yeah, forty four kilohertz. Yeah. Okay. If you uh, if you get to the uh, to the final stage, um, Nick has asked me to compose some music for for it as well. So for the final yes. stage in it. Um, if you if you're listening on headphones and you're listening to uh, you get to the final stage, you'll hear it actually in 3D audio because I'm recording my track in in binaural, so it'll it'll come out in 3D on headphones. And that's another thing I haven't mentioned yet. One of the things that uh, I'm also trying to do with this is to get we've got quite a few people in the Coco community that are musical, and and, and that's that was one of the things I wanted to do with this cartridge because I can't compose music. I can do. You know, if I design any super sound card, that's great, but I can't compose music, so it'll sound like shit either way. <laughs> so, but I figured, well, if I can make it play MP3s, then anyone who has the musical capability can compose their own songs using real instruments, say, or, you know, on their PC or a Mac or whatever, create that music with a MIDI or whatever, create the MP3 file, copy it to the SDC, then the Coco can play it. So there's no composing to be done on the Coco using some Coco program. You just compose in whatever you are familiar with. So we've got people like, uh, like Danny here who obviously has a bit of a musical equipment there in the background, as you can see. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> Now, so he's he's going to be putting together something for me. Uh, Dan um, um, Ottery, Ottery um, who uh, created that Blue Monday MIDI track on the Coco a couple of months ago, he's also uh, creating a special edition version. Actually, part part of one of his songs is was in that demo video I played. Um, so he's creating something. And I hope to get a lot of Coco people who are musical to to offer some songs that I can put in the Gunstar game. All right, so, now, I got more questions now. So, oh, how, sorry. How am I supposed to have time to do what I'm already doing, and then now start <laughs> playing music and stuff? And 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 is there some kind of a financial institution where I can actually make payments on this thing? <laughs> well, he's going to be affordable at the end. He's yeah, going to be well, affordable. Right. Now, it's still a work in progress. I mean, we I've been doing it on the side. I mean, obviously, I've been writing other games as well <laughs> in between and just doing this as an idea. And I can't do the hardware, so that's when I enlisted Jim Brain and uh, I got him to design the hardware and, you know, so, so we've got it up and running. Can I, uh, can I be the one person that asks about the uh, the clock? <laughs> Actually, there, there, there probably is room on there for a real-time clock. But better still, better still, Wrong. why don't you that just record, r record a whole lot of voices? You know, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. Oh, 
store oh. them as MP3 oh. files, oh. and oh, then have, have it play, and every now and then it'll just tell you, the Coco will tell you the time. Yep. Or it'll say, you've been playing Gunstar for seven hours. You should stop. That's right. It's time <laughs> It's time to sleep, or potty break uh, time, Ron. <laughs> now, oh, one, one other thing I want to make a quick comment on uh, from talking to Nick, too. He's been you know testing to see how fast the card will react to getting a, a song change, and it's quite quick. So theoretically, you could also make little miniature MP3 files of sound effects, and you could actually tell it, do an explosion, do a gunshot, do a phaser sound, or whatever else. And you can cool. actually add those full you know, 3D audio-type audio effects even to a basic game by sending a few pokes, say, switch to the explosion sound because I just killed this guy. Or Now, is there any other 8-bit machine that is, that's doing this on the market? Oh, I'm sure there is. I don't know. I'm it's sure. Pro- well, 8-bit, I don't know. I, I'm not aware of it. Certainly, there are bigger computers that can play MP3s. Of, of course, like a PC, for example, can do it. Um, so um, as, what about uh, the power supply on the on the Coco? We're going to have the Gimme. We got 8 megabytes. We got um, <clears throat> the new MPI. We got, uh, you know, two serial ports. We got all this stuff. I mean, the lights are going to dim when we turn this thing on. No, no, it's just a little cartridge, low power, just like any other wow. cartridge you play. New yeah. chips, new chips cost nothing. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so like the six no through nine and the, and the two and eight mega RAM upgrades actually take less power than the original Coco stuff does. So what you're yeah, saying yeah, is, yeah, if yeah, something true. goes bang in this machine, it's just going to be a little puff, and we're not even going to see the smoke. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you're going, you're going to be using, uh, probably going to be using a multi-pack anyway. So the multi-pack's got its own power. Yep. Yeah. The Mega it Mini does. has its that's, own power. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So what's the name of this thing going to be? The Coco Zune? No, no. It, it's um, it, it's been Rap. called the uh, the, the real audio pack. Rap. It was in the video. Yeah, it was in the video. I read that. <laughs> Nick, one, one thought that I would be kind of neat is if you had a game, you can actually have a... Uh, a narrated introduction into a game if you wanted to. You could do an adventure oh, game yeah. and just have the words come out yep. instead of uh, yep. uh, having to read it. That's right. So, There's so quite this a, is a few. This is a rap pack. Can I, can I play like the Beatles on it? Or, you know, yeah, you can play roll? anything. If oh. you can play Not unless MP3, you want to get sued, Ron. That's just um, the anagram. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously, if you're going to write release a game, yeah, you can't really use commercial game um, songs on it. <laughs> but for your own use, you could put all your entire Beatles uh, collection on the uh, micro SD card. And if someone writes a little MP3 player, which you can do in, even from basic, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. How big, an SD key, how big of an SD card will it take, do you know? Oh, I don't know. How big do micro SDs come? I think 256 I gig now, I think they have. No, well, there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's your MP3 player that's reading the SD. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not a, it's right. It's not on the Coco. It's the MP3 player. It's got a little slot uh, where you plug your uh, micro SD into. It, so it if you swapped out, so you could swap out the original tracks uh, yeah. for and put in your own tracks and have Gunstar play those instead. Yeah, you, you could. You could. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, they're just basically numbered files in numbered folders is how yeah. that's all they so. are yeah so <laughs> it's just opening up a folder playing track one so whatever so you know you it'd be cool if they have this thing uh in a way built in so there's a slot above the multi-packs you know where you plug your multi-pack in so then you could just put your sd card in there it, it does it does on the end of the cartridge when you plug your cartridge into the multi-pack, there's a little slot at the very top of the cartridge where you just slot your little SD card. 
Yeah, it's kind of set up that way, like the SDC, the Cocoa SDC, is yeah, yeah, using like a micro SD, SD yeah. instead of a regular SD. But my, so you yeah, can, my, and you can sorry. you can use it as a as a regular Orchestra ninety CC too, couldn't you? I guess. Yeah, it yep. is an Orchestra ninety as well. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. yeah. Does does it have uh, will it have audio plugs on the outside or no? It has a headphone jack. Yes. Okay. I still like the idea of if you could pass a ROM pack through it, like plug a ROM pack into it, then Coco could look for some magic byte on the ROM pack and say, okay, I need to load flash. this set of MPI. Well, if you have a multi-pack, if you have a multi-pack, you could have well, two ROM packs. Just, then you wouldn't need a multi-pack. You could just plug a ROM pack into your oh, thing. Into the, like Coco. a pass-through. Well, the and headphones. All the music for any game that someone had written music for on the SD card. And then the Coco could say, okay, this ROM pack is attached. I need folder Gunstar. Well, yeah, I probably could do that. But then you, what do you do with your disk, disk controller? Yeah. So just what's the music SDC. chip's number? Is it just like the orchestra? Yeah, yeah exactly the same. See? Yep. So stand, anything that runs on an orchestra 90 works on this cartridge. If you plug headphones into it, do you hear the DAC sound too? Then do you hear it post? Yeah, yeah. Every, yeah. That's the whole point is to get them mixed. both playing simultaneously because that's something well, the other sound cards have not done. With the headphones, though, I know going back yeah. into Coco, but I didn't know if yeah. the headphones were pre-mix or post-mix. No, no, it, it it mixes everything and then sends it to either the Coco or okay. the headphone jack. Cool. And you made this uh, uh, work with EOU. It went hand in hand with them. Uh Oh, well, I haven't, but it, it can very <laughs> it can. easily be done. Yeah, we've talked about it's it. Very easy. Put it that way. Very easy to do. Because I, I wouldn't mind making a little graphical G shell, you know, MP3 player, like the old Windows yeah. players used to be. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. That's a good idea. So yeah, hopefully, I mean, when when I do finish <laughs> finish this, do you, do you uh, have? Sorry, do you have you any? Do you have any idea on cost at all yet? Yeah, well, I still be alive when it comes out. No, <laughs> under forty dollars max. Forty dollars max. Wow, that's, what I'm aiming at. That's good. Yeah. So Have it depends on. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it won't cost cost. And that'll be case. That'll be in a case and everything, right? I think so. Yeah. I'm, well, I, I don't do the hardware, so uh, that'd be more of a gym, gym question. Yeah, that'll probably be Jim and doing all that. So, so in ten years, can I get the uh, little AI module for it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should have it ready by then. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I've been spending my time on. I really wanted to have a way of playing. I've got an Amiga, and I've always been a fan of the Amiga. The way they had games which played, you know, really incredible music in the background during the games and i'm trying to get that environment onto the coco so whereby you can play a game have all the sound effects and still have a really good quality rocking background uh playing and that was that was my whole incentive for this thing and one other, one other thing i'll say about the rocking background actually your son's rock band contributed one of the tracks too well yeah one of the i think the last track you heard there was my son's band so <laughs> keeping it all in the family Keeping it in the you're, you're gonna have to share that right. Ferrari. At least get him to chaperone you around in it. One yeah, well, that's right. Well, what <laughs> kept you from using uh, a um, Australian name for it? Uh, well, I, that's all been taken by uh, Coco Man. So I've given him the, uh, the 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 patents on on the Aussie names thing. Yeah, there's none left either. There's none left. He's, <laughs> he's pretty well decimated every an Australian animal in existence. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is yeah, that the wombat? He hasn't, he hasn't done a wombat yet, has he? <laughs> no, he's probably Good. patented it, though. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a marsupial, huh? Yeah, I just picked rap because, well, it's real audio. Then it, it's a program pack. Oh, hang on, rap, rap music. Okay, yeah. there's a there's a musical <laughs> connection to it, even though I'm not into rap music. But <laughs> no, me either. <laughs> so See kids that. are going to go out there and buy a three or four hundred dollar color computer to be able to stick that forty dollar cartridge in it, huh? <laughs> yeah, we want to do that. <laughs> I think Come it on, works the other way. Name, your rap name would be like DJ Vegemite. <laughs> yeah. <that's, laughs> actually, he, he hasn't grabbed the Vegemite name, has he? Maybe I should rename it to the Vegemite cartridge. <laughs> you know, the, the next uh, logical question is, uh, will the emulators be able to emulate it? Well, not at the moment. That's a Tim Linder question. I mean, he does want to expand some of the hardware capabilities of MAME, for example, to help cover developers that are working with brand new cards, which is done and you know, on the Game Master. And it wouldn't be hard to do. It wouldn't be hard to do because on a PC or a Mac, they can already play MP3s. Right. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Is linked yeah. into the emulator. Yeah. So that's, all he really has to do is emulate the the interface of how you control the song yeah, and the volume, yeah. and that's it. That's all. That's all. So it's actually mm. quite doable, but... First of all, let's get the cartridge out and let's make it a semi-standard, say, before we uh, modify emulators. You know, I got a stack load of CDs, CD uh, okay. music, you know. The, did the Coco ever play CDs? Mm, well, I don't know. It was capable of it. There was a CD-ROM file manager that yeah. uh, Chris Hawks made. Yeah, probably was yeah, the Stesi one. That. Yeah. On the TCP, I'm trying to remember, did he make a music player like that? for that too? I think people hooked CDs to it. Yeah, well, I know people use CD-ROMs on it because they actually formatted Cocoa Discs for that specifically. Oh, but I, uh, I can't oh, remember hey, if they audio, got a, an audio player, though. Did they? Back in the day, yeah. a lot of CD-ROMs actually had a headphone. Not that I remember. So theoretically, That's you true. control it. The Cocoa can load programs from CD, don't forget. Can uh, Canadian Retro Things loaded a, a program off CD? Yeah, well, we had it natively running. Like, they used to really hook up CD player directly to the Cocoa and actually run OS9 off of it. At the shows, and that was Chris Hawk's CDF file manager. Cool. Yeah, but playing playing an MP3 directly on the Coco, yeah, the Coco's too slow. You need a no. You need a faster <laughs> machine, and that's what this cartridge does. It offloads the hard work onto this MP3 player, and it does the playing. The Coco just has to control it. So, what's the um, speed of uh, megahertz of the machine in there? Oh, it's just a Coco. On on which machine? No, on this little cartridge, yeah. it's got a processor in there, right? Does that well, matter? It's, it's all on the MP3 cartridge. I don't know what speed it is. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Hey, Ron, yeah, it it runs at asparagus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds hey, really Ron. cool, Nick. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Hey, Ron, I posted a link to a generic uh, serial MP3 player on Amazon. It's like eight bucks. And basically, it has the, has the same type of module on there with the SD card. And you just control it through a serial cool. interface. Yeah, that could be used with any as sort of Ken computer. said, fast enough to do what it needs. Exactly. Yeah. So that sounds really awesome, Nick. Fast Looking enough and cheap figuratively enough, and literally. So. Yeah. Mm. And that's about all I have to to say. I can go back to sleep. 
<laughs> All right. That was excellent. After that, you you going to be such a disappointment. We're not going to bother. See you guys. Oh, well, hang around. You going to do a commercial break first, uh, Rob? Yeah. Yeah, let's uh, do an old. Yeah, then we'll do We'll just, after the commercial break, we'll do the regular news because there's not too many of those just to get it out of the way. Then we'll hit the, the EOU presentation. Okay. We'll go right into the news. Uh, quick news. We'll be right back after these messages. We'll return after these announcements. A whole new approach. Faster than ever. A window to a world of possibilities. Clear your expectations. Clear your hesitation. Just hit clear. EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Hi, everybody. This is Siri, Apple's personal assistant and beatbox professional. You're watching Coco Talk with the original gamer, Stevie first. What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh, and I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show. We think we put together a pretty good show for you, but this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you. This is Ken Reichard, author of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. And you're experiencing Coco Talk? As you start your journey to Coco Fest, you notice the road ahead is littered with rogue furniture. You realize you are driving on the Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. The game for the Tandy Color Computer 1, 2, and 3. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Stunning low-resolution visuals. Digital to analog converted sound. 100% machine language and basic. What are they saying about Nightmare Highway? Nightmare Highway. Steve B. York says, Of all the games released this year, this is one of them. Elkert S. Boyle says, This will not be on my site. Nick Marionette says, Crikey, look at the size of that croc. Get your complimentary copy of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. At cancanmakeit.com. If you got it for free, you paid too much. Hey there, it's Andrew here with the Tandy Speech and Sound Cartridge that I won from Coco Talk Live. So uh, next time, make sure to tune in may change your life. 
let the Radio Shack TRS-80 put the world of color computing into your home. Instant loading program packs turn any color TV into an exciting game arcade. And there's more. The color computer is an educational aid, a home management tool, and up-to-the-minute electronic information service. The programmable, expandable TRS-80 color computer from $399 only at Radio Shack, the biggest name in little computers. We now return you to Coco Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Curtis Boyle. A Muppet News Flash. Nope, can't show Alrighty, you. go ahead. There we go. Okay, you guys seen that? Yep. The pretty desktop. So the first one up, uh, Sheldon McDonald, who started doing his uh, Learn a 6809 Assembly Language Along With Me um, series, has got a couple of new episodes out. So he did episode ep- three and episode four. Uh, so this time he's going around uh, branching an assembly and changing his text mouse that he demonstrated on episode two to be IRQ-based rather than polling. So it runs in the background. And he actually can run even with basic running in the background. And then he's creating a print subroutine in the fourth episode. So this here is the third one. So he kind of goes through setting all that up. And then he gets into the print subroutine on this episode. And he changes his desktop every single time. So it's kind of cool to see the pictures he has. Um, and then also he's working on a function library for his assembly tools, which he did kind of a little teaser. It's not a full episode. And uh, actually, he's got a, you know, a sample up here where you can kind of make mac- macros and you can insert basic code. You can put machine language code, et cetera, into it too. So it sounds like a pretty interesting project for his little cross-development setup. So we'll keep an eye on that as it goes on too. Next up, and this is the other Jim Gary entry this week. So we ported a basic utility program that helps you learn about resistors and their color codes, which is you know way too complicated for my feeble brain, but some of you hardware guys probably understand this stuff. Yeah. And notice he spells colors right. Uh, <laughs> I can do that with my phone now. Very good. <laughs> so, it, like, I, I, basically, from my understanding, is it's kind of like Morse code, the different colors combined to make a certain voltage or wattage or whatever. The, whatever the, the, the colors right. de, de, uh, determine the, uh, the resistance value. You have your... Yeah, you have your, you know, you have your numeric values, and then there's a multiplier, and then there's a band that is the, uh, t- you know, the tolerance or how close it gets to the actual, you know, how, within how many percentage of the actual resistance value. Okay, so this would be like an educational tool and a lookup tool, kind of native on your code. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. <clears throat> and a trainer, so you learn what the colors mean. Yeah. Right, because if you use a chart, you will never ever learn them. You will just look at your chart. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. It was, it was an interesting way of using the Cocoa as, a, as an educational tool and a reference material for just doing electronics in general. And next, I was actually hoping that uh, Ken of Canadian Retro Things would be on to talk about this. It was kind of an interesting project. He, uh, I don't know if you guys remember these because they're not really used that much anymore. I know I had one I used to use on trips, but it's an FM transmitter. So you can take like an MP3 player or your laptop or an iPod or whatever, and you plug this transmitter into the headphone jack and it's usually battery operated and then we'd actually broadcast somewhere on the fm spectrum and you could usually adjust it with a screwdriver or something and your radio would pick it up 
So what he's doing here is he's actually hooking up like to a Sony Walkman style cassette recorder. He's hooking up one of these wireless transmitters and then he's having it linked into the Cocos. So he's playing a Coco uh, program file, the audio for it. And his Coco 3 and his Coco 2 are both trying to pick it up off of the transmitter. So I'll just play a couple seconds here. You had to ask. To make it even more convoluted, I decided I am going to attempt to load all of this using an 80s portable cassette player. Okay, so this is the FM transmitter. I've got it plugged into the headphone jack on this 80s cassette player. So we turn it on, then we have to choose a frequency and then tune both radios into that. So I'm just going to uh, quickly do that and uh, then we can give this little experiment a try. So I won't spoil it exactly what happened during this experiment. You'll have to watch the episode for that, but uh, it's an interesting, interesting take on it. It's kind of like the old Network 2 controller where you'd have the central thing was all cabled though, where you'd play, you know, load a cassette from one central one and then everything else would get it. Also like Boise's project from last week where he's using the cartridges to, you know, load cartridges across on a network. This is just doing it wirelessly using the existing technology that's already there and uh, kind of an interesting way of doing it. So is he using the ancient... Uh Analog TV is both the FM receiver and the display? Yes. <laughs> it's an all-in-one package. That's a cool idea. Huh. Yeah, but he has to switch from the TV display over to the radio mode to actually do the load. Yep. So he ends up doing the loads blind. Right. And then oh, yeah, right. you find out whether or not you hear a click and win to see if it loaded successfully or not. Of it's very cool. It's a very cool video. I really do give it a watch. Okay, yeah, got to do that. <laughs> uh, next up, this is somebody I'd not seen on YouTube before. Jose Antonio Vacabello put up on YouTube and uh, showing an unboxing of a Coco 2 receive with four joysticks. We gets two of uh, the original aluminum handled Black Beauties plus two of the plastic ones. He also gets a CG, CJ, CGP 115 color ink, you know, little pen printer. And he also gets one single cartridge for Arkanoid. And it's in Spanish. And I know we've, we've got some Spanish viewers and they don't often get stuff in their native language. So it's it's nice to get this one here. So it's a bit of a yellowed cocoa too, but, um, and he doesn't actually fire it up to see if it's working quite yet at this point. But you can see there on the top of he's put the uh, silver handled original uh, Black Beauties on the back further away from the camera and the two newer ones there. And then he opens up the printer and he's actually got the manuals and everything for it too. And then uh, he gets a game cartridge there and just shows how the plugs in. Uh, he hasn't actually done any play on it. I don't know if he's planning on doing that. I don't speak Spanish, so if he mentioned that, I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't know if he did or not. But I just wanted to put a plug there because I know we've got some uh, viewers in, in Central and South America that you know Spanish is their native language, and of course people in Spain too. So it's it's nice to have something that you know they don't have to translate. Next up, we have Carlos, who actually has a couple of things we're going to be mentioning today. The first one here is he's got this 40th anniversary, like this was planned for the fest originally, which of course didn't happen. We had to go virtual because of COVID. So he's got this design uh, where you can get a black shirt or white shirt, and it's got the 40th anniversary of the Tier City color computer on the front. And the little blurb says, you know, 10 print 1980 to 2020, which is kind of cool. Go to 10. But on the back, he's actually got a bit of a, you know, kind of a schematic diagram of the system block of how, it, how everything plugs into each other, how the different chips work. So that's the ultimate geek t-shirt. I don't know if I'd be wearing that to a party or anything, but uh, it'd be pretty cool to wear to a fest. 
And he's actually taking orders. And I know some people, I think Alan Huffman's ordered one already. And I think some others have too. So once you guys get them on, or get them, actually modeled them on the show, I'd like to see what it actually looks like in real life. Yeah, the ordering is very easy. Um, I uh, When I saw that, I actually placed the order and he sent me a message that I was actually the first person to order one. So I'll be kind of curious to see what they uh, they come in looking like. So Have you got an expected uh, arrival date on that jet or? Brent? Nope, it just it just shows the paid, um, and so we're hoping that in the next uh, day or so that it will uh, it will start shipping. So, okay, cool. Should be very cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So if you get if you're also the first one to receive it as well as order it, then uh, model model it on the next show. <laughs> very good. <laughs> of course, you have to turn around. We have to read see the back too. So. Uh, his second one, this is kind of an interesting one for me. I've actually got some of these old dust covers. Now, the Tandy sold dust covers for the Cocos themselves, for the cassette recorders. Uh, printers, you know, like some of the peripherals and stuff too. And they definitely get kind of hard and brittle and don't fold over well. And they kind of get yellowed and gross and stuff like that just from you know time. But he's apparently found a way to kind of rekindle them. And he goes through the steps here doing it. I don't know if you guys have ever done this yourself. So I've, I'm just going by what he's saying here. But he cleans it with warm bleach and mildew remover, leaves it in the sun a few days. That's, you know, kind of like the retro style thing. Place the cover of the cocoa too once it's at room temperature. Use rubber bands or tape to stretch it over the cocoa case leave it for a few days. And this is kind of stretching it back out and getting it less brittle and also make it fit better again. Then he uses a hot air blow dryer or hair dryer to gently heat the cover, not staying in one spot, keep it moving. Don't melt or shrink the plastic with the high heat. Leave that for a few days after you do that. Now you have a cover that is soft, clear and fits over your machine properly. So I, I've actually, like I said, I've got a few here. I might actually try this because they're, they're, they won't go over the cocoa right now. They won't stay on anyway because they're, they're, they're pretty well half hardened at this point. So has anybody else ever tried this experiment or even heard of this method of fixing a dust cover? I'm going to, because I have some that are still original folded and they won't unfold. So <laughs> <laughs> I've done Seems the, uh, I've, uh, when I was retrobriting a couple computers this summer, I did throw a cover in and I did whiten the cover, but I didn't try the, um, the other steps there to, uh, to kind of soften it. I just, I was just trying to get the yellow out. So, It'd be interesting to try the other ones. Okay. Well, if anybody gets that before I do, I'd definitely like to hear what your result of the experiment is too. I have the same problem you do. Sun for a few days is going to take about three, four months to. <laughs> yeah. I also, I also don't know if it works in minus 40. I might have to wait till summer. <laughs> it might be just hard and brittle just from being, you know, mega cold. Next up, we have Alan Huffman has done another one of his blog posts, and this is benchmarking, benchmarking the Cocoa keyboard, and it's part one, so obviously he's planning on going a bit further on it. And this was based on the question that John McClellan had posted in the Cocoa uh, group. And it, what he was trying to do, in key, we'll read a key, and then immediately you know, figure that you've pressed it, and that's all I need to do. And you'll have to let go and press it again for it to register as an in key again. And he wanted something where you could just hit the key and hold it down, and it would actually register that for a key repeat type thing. And he gets into doing some of the peaks and uh, to actually read the you know, polecat uh, buffer routines and also the actual PIAs themselves. So Alan decides to go through this <clears throat> and figure out you know some differences between the various uh, methods of doing this here from the PIA or from the the rollover routine. And then he also got some comments uh, from William Astle, who's kind of our, our local you know basic disassembled expert, who is mentioning uh, some of the differences between the various versions of the Color Basic. 
And I do remember some of these because I wrote a, a really crappy basic game back in like 81, 82 on my original Coco 1.1 basic. And when the Coco 1.2 and 1.3 basic came out, it started playing like crap because the keyboard routine was different and it didn't react the same. And the key repeat stuff I was trying to do didn't work properly anymore. So <clears throat> he actually kind of goes through an explanation here what the differences in the ROMs are and then some of the tricks that you can do there. So I'm pretty sure after reading these comments from William that Alan's going to kind of do a follow-up article on this fairly soon. Uh, going into, but it's kind of nice because for basic games, I mean, some games you do want to be able to just tap the key and have to keep tapping it to move something. There's others though where you'd rather just hold the key, you know, left or right to move left and right, and you don't have to keep hitting it. So this will be a nice tutorial for uh, you know color basic and extended basic, super extended basic users to uh, to be able to do the key repeat stuff. Next up, this is a pretty cool one too. Um, Jan Voss posted in here that they were using Coco 2s to actually test breathing air equipment, which I don't know in the, you know, in the era of COVID, these might even still be used right now. Who knows? Um, we actually had some pictures here of some of the uh, pieces where they were using it. It was basically used as a tester for it to make sure that it's operating correctly. And one of these systems is actually on eBay. And they actually, you know, changed the label here for their own custom label for doing the actual thing and the custom cable that, you know, plugged in. It's obviously been a well-used machine. So it's called Pause It Check by Biosystems Inc. So that's a, I, I know we've seen that one, uh, the one Coco 2, a series of Coco 2s that was on eBay for years and years because it was charging way too much for some newspaper, I think, had it in New York or something. So this is another one of those New York specialty. Times Coco 2. Yeah. yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Thanks. So this one here is actually another Coco 2 specialty project where they're using the Coco 2 as part of another piece of hardware that's you know way beyond a Coco type thing. And, uh, you know, custom labeling it, custom cabling it, custom software, probably custom ROM and uh, using it in, in an industrial setting. So I thought that was kind of cool. Next up here, and I know John Laurie and a few others have commented on this. So this is Craig Federighi, who is the uh, senior vice president of software. And if you ever watched Apple keynotes, he's also famous for his hair because it's perfectly coiffed at all times. But uh, he goes and he, he did this little uh, lecture thing here where he actually went through his history of getting into computers as a young kid. And his first computer was a Coco. And he actually remembered the 6809 being a pretty good processor from back in the day, which is kind of ironic considering the very first Macintosh prototypes when Jeff Raskin was still in charge of the project around 881 was using a 6809. That was his original vision for it, not the 68000 because that was a really expensive chip. Um, so that was pretty interesting. So I've got it queued up right to where he just mentions the Coco. So I'll just play, you know, 30, 40 seconds of it so you guys can hear it. Uh, let's turn this up. Twitch. My computer. So I started doing uh, housework and, and doing uh, weeding. And I was doing all these chores because I was going to buy a computer. And eventually I did. I bought a TRS-80 color computer. Look it up. 6809 <laughs> processor. Decent thing. I couldn't afford an Apple at the time. Um, but I worked. I got jobs, a little odd jobs doing programming. I of course, he's not going to concentrate because he's an Apple guy, uh, works for Apple, one of their higher ups, actually. So, But the fact that uh, he started on that was uh, on the Coco was actually a pretty interesting tidbit I did not know. And the whole interview is actually quite good, too, if you just want a bit of a history of him. And he's, he's, he's been one of the upper echelon software engineers at Apple for decades, I think. I'm trying to remember, Mark, you might know this. Was he originally at Next? Is he one of the people that came over from Next? Uh, I don't know. I didn't follow all the people that went to Next. I know some of them, but not. I don't recognize his name, but he might be. Yeah, I can't remember if he's or not. Anyway, it's a really good interview. Chris Burke here, he mentioned, now he's, we've talked to, about Chris a lot because, of course, he did tons of stuff. He did RSP. He did the Burke and Burke hard drive controllers. He did the Logitech ScanMan driver. 
um, Dagger of Patch, you know, to run Dungeons of, da- Dungeons of Dagger with saving games to disc and, you know, just tons of other things that he's done. But he's mentioned in the past since he kind of came back in the Coco community in the last year that he's lost pretty well all the source code. He doesn't have it anymore. Well, he found a snippet of one. So he found his old CyberVoice text-to-speech code. Now, I don't think he's published it quite yet, but um, it was basically a, a program to control the CyberVoice cartridge, which is a speech cartridge, I think based on the same chip as the sound speechback, if I remember. I might be wrong on that. Um, but just the fact that he actually managed to find some of his source, because the only source I think Bill and I have seen, we reverse disassembled his uh, BBFH disk driver for the Burke and Burke. So we do have source commented by us, not by Chris's original comments. So there's bits of source there too, but a lot of his other stuff has been kind of lost over the years. So hopefully more stuff keeps turning up because it'd be nice to get some of that stuff back. I know Chris wouldn't mind it either. So this was a cool one in the furnace. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Rick Adams is familiar with that. This was a cool project in the dragon Facebook group. So on, I don't think you can quite see it here on the picture, but the top is an actual floppy drive, a regular five and a quarter. And the bottom one's a GoTech, which is a floppy, you know, simulator type thing. Now what he's done here is he's three printed, 3d printed the case uh, to hold all this stuff here. And the design is on Thingiverse. So if anybody wants to make it, and I mean, it doesn't have to be a GoTech in a, a you know, five and a quarter inch. You can put two five and a quarters or put a three and a half with a five and a quarter inch mount and a five and a quarter in there. But it's actually a fairly well-done case, I thought. And the fact he made everything all black and it kind of matches and it's like the Darth Vader Coco or Dragon uh, plug-in case there. It's pretty cool. And this one, since we actually have the guy that made this video uh, on the call here, I think I'll let him talk about it. I'll mute it and you can just kind of explain what you're doing. Sure, Curtis. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so this is my original cassette recorder from... I would think about 1984, 85. This is the CCR 82. And as you can see, the belts were shot. One of them was completely broken. The other two were stretched out and gooey. (laughs) They actually leave black behind and uh, make a mess. But uh, I thought that was probably the only issue with it. So I went in, replaced the belts and put it all back together. You know, there's a lot of resoldering of wires and it's all very fragile stuff. And it still didn't play, I didn't get any sound out of it. And uh, so I had to go in and troubleshoot the PCB. And I was looking at the amplifiers and the, the playhead and uh, finally it turned out I needed to replace the main IC on the board. And I had put in an order for some ICs that I found, I think they were on eBay. And while I was waiting, I got a delivery and um, fortunately, Rick came in and saved the day. Rick, Rick, uh, oh, how do you say your last name, Rick? Uland? Uland. Uland. Rick Uland came in and saved the day and sent a uh, another CCR82 and so I did get mine running again and I also got his working and uh, his his model has a broken rewind mechanism so you know a lot of these were fragile there's Rick's I'm shaking the one I'm shaking in my hand there that's Rick's unit and inside Go ahead. 
was just saying parts be rattling while you shake that, right? Oh yeah, there were screws loose, and fortunately, the loose screws get picked up by the speaker magnets, so you don't lose many screws because of that little self-retaining feature of the magnet. <laughs> And so anyway, Rick's is working, but the rewind is broken. So I have to flip it over and fast forward when I want to rewind his. But uh, maybe in the future, someone will come up with a way to 3D print a, a new mechanism for, uh, for the parts that commonly break in these. Cool. And then you play this game, which I hadn't seen before, which you actually did as a test to load off the cassette. Exactly. So I had never got my original tape copy of this game to load, because I think that while my recorder was broken, I think it was actually erasing half of the time. So I, you know, I <laughs> so I I foolishly you know used my original cassette to test out this unknown thing, which I won't do that again. But so I ended up making a, a new copy of the game on a new cassette tape and so here i am playing a game that first typed in from the rainbow magazine when i was about 12 and you you got this off the original tape you typed in when you were 12 no i couldn't unfortunately i couldn't retrieve it from the original tape so i i pulled it off of rainbow on tape oh okay well done. fun little game for a typed in game though yeah, it's actually got that little auto mapping thing, or not auto mapping, but the you know kind of represent graphical representation of your walking through and right. And I know a lot of other people have broken cassette recorders, and uh, if if we could come up with a way to you know 3D print a piece or bend a little piece of metal for a bracket, we could probably fix a whole pile of these. I, I know David Ladd was mentioning that one of his is broken. Yeah, I have to try mine. I do have a CCR82. I might even have the old CTR51 left over somewhere, too, but I haven't tried it in years. I don't know if it's broken or not. I like the 82s because they are so specifically a computer cassette recorder with the monitor switches and pause switch and things. Yeah, and plus they're nice, small, and compact, too, like the old CTR51s and those older ones. They were, they were huge. And, or and the original the, CCR. Go ahead. One last thing that I'll mention before you skip on is I'm alluding to next week's video, which is a ROM hack where I improve the C save routine in, uh, in, ex in extended color basic. Oh, cool. We'll have to have you on next week to explain that one too. <laughs> well, I hope I can make it. I hope I actually come through with the hack, but yeah, I've, I've shown, I've proven the hack out. I just need to record the video footage of that. Okay, we look forward to that then. Uh, keep us posted. If it's not ready by next week, we can we can do it on a future show. Sounds good. Thanks, Curtis. Okay, thanks, Alan. And my last one, this just got put on today. So this is from Henry Reitfeld, and he actually, is, you can see his Cocoa system here, and he's using VTerm, which is a VT100 terminal emulator for disk basic for the Cocoa 3. And he's actually logged into Google News so he actually goes and uh, does this bit of a zoom up here, but this is what Google News looks like when you're running it on a Cocoa. I just thought it was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. That he's actually logged into the web and actually, you know, doing something semi-useful instead of listening to us people, you know, hype on about a 40-year-old <laughs> computer um, and actually learning things. 
and um, doing it all in the cocoa. So that's, that's kind of neat. That could be interesting. So I have no idea what's doing these side pictures there. Maybe that's his uh, roommate or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the end of the new regular news for today. Okay. Well, why don't we, I don't know about Ron, but I think I need a potty break. So why don't we take <laughs> a, uh, take a commercial and hear a little bit about David Ladd and we will be right back. Oh, more. yes. are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy-colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original colored computer, the Coco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French Canadian Radio Shack. Un ordinateur couleur qui a de la personnalité, le Coco 2 de Radio Sac, en solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. And now. Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. If you're using your color computer in Quebec and it stops working, is it now a Coco won't do? Eight slot MPI, floppy drive, Coco SDC, sound speech pack, orchestra 90, RS-232 pack, modem pack, super IDE. You start adding all those together if you want them all usable at the same time. Well, guess what? You just went over the four slot MPI. the uh, Coco Tech crew of people and a lot of us are here down at the Coco Fest having a great time it's the second day and we're just about done so you guys have to come out next year all situations depicted in this trailer actually happened this true story has been anonymized to protect the guilty Starting in the dead of winter, a group of bored 
teenagers. Blue stuff up. Learned code cracking. Learned phone freaking. Hijacked and hacked. No system was safe. No one could catch them. Or so they thought. story at the dawn of the internet system hacked we now return you to call call talk well welcome back everybody and uh curtis and bill are we are we ready I don't know if David Ladd is ready, but I think that oh, oh, I am ready. ready. I <laughs> am ready for OS nine to boot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm ready for the presentation. I'm not sure if I'm ready for David Ladd. Okay, well, to get us in the mood, I whipped up a little something last night when I probably should have been um, doing more prep on the actual show but um i have a little video and i think it'll give you an idea of what you can expect in ease of use beta 6 so let's take a look drive wire drive wire drive wire give me x ready gem quest MV Canvas. Home Publisher. RSB 1.3. Phantom Crab. Faster performance. Sierra Homebrew Games. Dust Dirt by Todd Wallace. Expanded Health. And much more. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. And with that, the floor is yours, sir. Good job, man. Sir Boyle. Okay, so the first thing, I know we've had a quite an f- influx of new people in the Cocoa community since the last version of uh, Nitrous 9 Ease of Use was released, uh, which was, well, not quite a year ago, but coming up on that pretty quick. So I've had a lot of questions about what exactly is Ease of Use? What is Nitrous 9? What is OS 9? So I thought I'd run through a little bit of that first. 
uh, just a little bit of history and, and, and you know, what the project is and what its goals are. So that'll be the first thing I'll be covering here. So I'm just going to share. Find the right one here. Chet might know some of this history too. Okay, so first of all, <clears throat> OS9 is a multi-user, multitasking, preemptive multitasking operating system for 8-bit computers based on the 6809 and then later on for the 68000 and ARM and Intel and PowerPC and Deck Alpha and a bunch of things. Uh, it originally started uh, with Ken Kaplan. I think he was still in college at the time, uh, the founder of Microware. And what he did is he made one for the 6800 processor back in 1976 called RT68. And this is a 1980 or 1979 ad from 68 Microjournal. Uh, kind of talking about it. And it was a multitasking. It didn't have multi-user and some of the other things here, but it did have, you know, basic priority levels and a few other things. So it was a pretty sophisticated operating system for the time, especially for 76 for a, a microcomputer. So what they did afterwards oops, uh, is they, uh, when the 6809 came out, Motorola and Microware actually worked together on uh, base, what became Basic 09, which is the uh, structured basic slash Pascal style language um, that is included with Nitrous 9. And they did that first as a showpiece for the uh, chip and they kind of worked together on it to show off the power of the 6809. And then they decided, you know, we kind of need an operating system around this thing too. So then they created OS 9, um, which they then started advertising a little bit later. So here's the uh, OS 9 getting released. This is in July, 1980. So this is actually the 68 micro journal magazine ad for OS 9 level one, though there wasn't a level two back at that point at the exact same time that the Cocoa One was first being announced by Tandy. Now, Tandy did not start selling OS 9 for another three and a quarter years after that. But this is when it became full multi-user and multitasking and, and much more Unix-like than the original RT68. This predates even DOS. <coughs> yep. Yes, it does. Did they ever anticipate going to a Cocoa? back when it first came out? I'm was... sure there was. I mean, the original, from what I understand of the history of it, from talking to Frank Hogg and some others, is that there was talk that Radio Shack, when they were bringing out the 64K color computer in 1983, they were planning on having a more advanced operating system for it. Now, Flex was in the running for this too, for a little bit, and then they decided on OS 9, and then there was going to be several different ports of it. You know, Micro was going to do their own, and the Frank Hogg had been enlisted for possibly doing a port of it too. And it ended up that they went with, uh, you know, Microware's own version. And this here is from the RSC 10 catalog from early 1984 when they first announced it, when the, you know, just after the Cocoa 1 64K and the Cocoa 2 64K came out. And, um, you know, it comes with the editor assembler and stuff like that. So that's the first ad when that happened. And Did then, you have uh, to go digging for this? Not a little bit, but not too much. And then, uh, I mean, it was pretty pretty decent. Uh, it required 64K on the color computer's case. It actually supported graphics, which a lot of the other versions of OS 9 Level 1 and other machines didn't, because they were meant for terminal-based systems, like gimmicks and smoke signal chieftains and all this kind of stuff. So it was a bit of a different market. Um, you probably remember some of the full-page ads gimmicks used to have. We could buy, you know, a 6809 system for only $5,000 type of thing. Um, <laughs> Basic was $99.95 right here, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, it's, it's goal change, but in the Cocoa One's case, I mean, it could do multi preemptive multitasking, but with only one 32 column screen, it wasn't incredibly useful. Now, Tandy did sell 80 column cards, third party, like the word pack two. And uh, they were driver supporting that. And you could actually run them both at the same time. So you could have a 32 column screen or run a P mode four program or something like that on the Cocoa and then log in with a terminal with an 80 by 24, you know, screen. 
at the same time. And you could actually do some multitasking then. And it didn't support multi-user that way. You could have the other person log in and then they have their own directory and they have their own permissions of what files they can change and that kind of thing. So it was pretty cool. It was almost like having a mainframe in your, your house type thing on a small scale. But it was a little bit limited in usefulness because of 64K. So uh, a few years later, when the Cocoa 3 came out, they contracted Microware again to do, uh, well, multiple things. They did the super extended basic patches. Um, then they did the uh, OSINE level 2 and, and MultiView and a bunch of things we're going to get into. So when that came out and announced in 1986, now it was a little bit late because the Cocoa 3 was announced in July of 1986. And I think it started going on sale September, October, if I remember. And uh, originally OSINE level 2 was supposed to be out you know, before the end of the year. And as what I remember, it, it didn't quite make it or it was very, very late in the year. Um, and you can see down here on the left column, second from the bottom, OSINE level 2 coming out. <clears throat> now, the basic difference between level 1 and level 2 is level 1 was meant for just a stock 6809 with 64K RAM and then whatever peripherals you're supporting. OSINE level 2 is meant for machines that have an MMU, a memory management unit. And this will allow an 8-bit CPU to use more than 64K. And in the Cocoa 3's case, it would work with 128K or 512K. And, of course, that's changed a bit over the years, too, as third parties have come up with more RAM, um, which was good enough in itself because that gave it a lot of you know room to actually do some real multitasking with. And, of course, you know, the Cocoa 3 runs at twice the speed as the Cocoa 1. That helped, too. The big thing, though, is because they actually started supporting the new advanced graphics and hardware text modes on the Cocoa 3's that you have native 80-column or 40-column. And because of the way it's memory mapped, you can actually have multiple screens and you just you know, poke one byte and basically it switches your screens instantly. That's the whole hit clicker to go to the next screen type thing. And that made it very useful because now we had virtual desktops, which, I mean, very few machines had. I mean, a lot of machines at this time by the 87, 86 timeframe had windowing systems, but you had to overlap them. And that got kind of crowded, especially on the earlier machines that didn't have as high, high that resolution. If you're running like six apps on the same screen, say the original Mac, which is 512 by 384, well, then you get to like, if you want to see what the other window's doing, you have to click on it so you can bring it up to the front so you can see what it's doing. And then the other one behind it, you can't see what it's doing. And you're, you're constantly switching back and forth, you know, switching between dragging this window off to the side so I can see what this other window's doing. And it's kind of not as productive as it could have been. And on the Cocoa 3, they kind of jumped ahead to where the, we have virtual desktops now where you can just swipe and go between entire different screens of apps. Or you can be running Photoshop on this screen, swipe, and now I'm running you know, uh, Chrome on this one or whatever type thing. And we kind of had that back in 86, 87 here because you just hit clear and you, you could have graphic screens, text screens, a GUI, uh, you know, a, a game, whatever. It didn't matter. So that was pretty advanced for the time. And part of that was what they came out was called MultiView. And this is the first uh, ad for it here from Tandy from the 17B catalog, which is late 87. It was also running behind schedule and, and came out late. One bit of trivia, um, OSINE level two for the hackers back in the day because a lot of people that use level one were really looking forward to level two, especially after reading about the windowing system and stuff. Because it was behind schedule, Tandy uh, for the Epics released the game Rogue, which runs under OSINE level two, and it was required. OSINE level two was not quite ready for prime time yet, but they did include a good chunk of OSINE level two on Rogue. And then when people figured this out, they actually hacked it together with pieces from level one to make a fully functional level two system. So people that bought the Rogue game actually got OSINE level two months before the actual release happened and a lot of the hackers actually set it up so they could actually start working on stuff. So when level two actually came out, they had programs ready for it already, which was kind of cool. Anyway, of that aside. So this is uh, when they announced the multi-view. This was announced in the second half of 1987 and uh, came out near the end of the year. And this is the GUI, the graphical shell. 
Now we did have graphics and stuff. It's not like you needed this to do high res graphics. That was all built into level two itself. But this had the whole subsystem of doing you know pop up windows and overlay or uh, drop down menus and that kind of stuff. Uh, automatic mouse following, so you didn't have to program it to. You know, you move the mouse. I have to put the cursor over here. You just turn it on, and it does it for you, type thing. So it makes it a lot easier. And that's what G Shell is based on, which you guys have who've seen uh, EOU or, or Nitrous Nine have already seen this before. And of course, they've been bringing other things too. There's other languages. There's stuff like Pascal and you know a bunch of other things too. Uh, the macro assembler, C compiler, etc. Curtis. Yep. Did they? Um, did anybody else ever contribute to MultiView to expand it a little bit? Was that the idea to actually make it a, uh, the the code available so that you could um, actually? Well, make Tandy never made code available for any of this stuff or Michael uh, for that matter. Um, yes, people have expanded. I mean, Kent Myers did uh, the original G shell up to 1.24, and then uh, he gave it on to me uh, just a few years before he passed away. And then I've been kind of, you know, adding to it myself since then. So, yes, it's still actively uh, being added to. In the fact, there's a couple changes on the, the new version of EOE Beta 6, too. Although MultiView gave you WinDent instead of GraphDent, which... Was yeah, that was a high-level menu handling. Basically, it's the one that handles all of the uh, you know, fancy borders on Windows, and it handles the drop-down menus and stuff. So you don't have to program so, all that by hand. So, like the what was it? Uh, there was a Shellmate or something like that that used Windent to do its menuing. And I thought that was really slick, but I never quite got a handle on it at the time. Yeah, it's a little bit complicated setup, and there's some enhancements to Basic09's library, Graphics2 library, that actually makes it a bit easier. It's still not super easy. I do plan on doing a, either a live stream or a video to kind of explain how that works. I mean, there's some docs on the ease of use you can actually take a look at to read that. It's part of the new help system, and there's also the full docs originally from Kevin Darling and the rest of how to set that up. So definitely something we want to cover for the general public later. Take now, care. just to give you an idea. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, how does M shell fit into this? M shell, that's uh, Bill's. Bill Pierce's. Yeah. Bill Pierce's. Um, that's a, a file manager. It's not a graphical launcher like G shell. Like G shell has limited file management capabilities, very limited, like very primitive stuff. And uh, it's basically meant as a program launcher and, and you know, directory navigation is what it's more meant for. Yeah, I would um, compare it to directory opus from uh, the Amiga, if people know yeah. that. Because Bill's system is meant to manipulate files. Like I want to move files between directories or drives or, or that type of thing. And it's, it's much better at that than, than G-Shell is. Um, G-Shell just does some very primitive stuff like that. Now, I'm planning eventually on an expanding G-Shell to cover some of that, but I'm not going to go into the extent that Bill's done with, with M-Shell. M-Shell is actually installed on, on uh, Ease of Use 2. Though I think, is it Rob, is it, um, is it Ultimuse or Mshell that has a problem saving the config file on your system? So, so Ultimuse is fully functional. You, you cannot save your config file. Uh, Mshell is, has more serious uh, problems, but you can start it up to at least take a look at, take a look at it. But it, Mshell is missing its, its windows. Okay, so that's something we're going to have to work with Bill Pierce and actually trying to get that stuff kind of resolved here. So once this is out, I mean, Bill and I have already been planning on doing a 6.1 update because we're sure to find bugs now that it's going out of the wide beta within the next couple of weeks. And, and the whole public will be able to hit on it. And that's usually when we find the most bugs because <laughs> uh, users are so innovative at finding those things. They'll do something I never thought in a million years. So Especially it just says a kind of a... Sorry? Especially David... <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, Tim Linder did a video years ago, uh, I think six years ago now, of installing MultiView. And this was installing MultiView on a Coco 3 with a Disto Super Controller 2, which is a no-halt disk controller. And I just wanted to show this to kind of show you what G-Shell was like back in the day. This is the stock G-Shell from Tandy running on a floppy. Now, with the no-halt controller, it actually runs pretty good as far as the speed re reaction of the mouse cursor and stuff like that. So it goes to an hourglass, which you'll see shortly. Um, when Ken Myers took it over, he decided to shut off updating the mouse cursor if it's busy loading a directory and all the icons it needs for directory. Now, that does definitely sped up reading a directory because I didn't have to sit there, you know, read a chunk from the disk and then, you know, manipulate some graphics to move the hourglass because somebody moved their mouse and then go back to the disk and keep swapping back and forth and slow the whole thing down. So he shut it completely off in G-Shell 1.24. But that made a lot of people think, I think it's frozen. This, the machine's not doing anything. I can move the mouse, nothing happens. So we put it back in. You can move the mouse, but we cut down the sampling rate. So instead of checking the mouse every, updating every 30th of a second or something like that, we're only doing it five times per second. So that way, you know, it's not crashed and it's running slower because it's busy hitting the hard drive or the floppy drive or whatever. So you'll see that here. But here's, here's what MultiView looked like back in the day. And the sound. Oh, my eyes. <laughs> ah, smooth mycene. <laughs> Even when the floppy disk is being read or written to. We've changed the way you highlight too, because it used to do a paint at a paint point, but sometimes people drew icons and it would paint nothing, so you didn't even know you have anything selected. So I've we've switched it to the outside 3D box indented look instead. Curtis, what screensaver are you running? <laughs> screensaver? Yeah, the screensavers oh. are really important at this point, aren't they? Like melt and uh crumble and all those. It's showing the uh, resizable windows for the special apps that were written to do that. You're only allowed to resize it the once when you're creating it, though. Yeah, there's no uh, Nick Morente's trash can on this one. Yeah, I was saying. There's not even a trash can at all, you'll notice. <laughs> there's something missing there. There's no printer, there's no trash can. That was all added on later. Ah, now it's a burning dumpster. <laughs> Looks like the clock was fixed then. The no, I think he cheated and said it's in 1914 just to get it to oh. look proper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a little demo of what, what MultiView used to look like back in the day. So we've, we've updated that a fair bit. <laughs> we've come a long way. Yeah. Long way. That's for so, back then, no. For the people that are wondering about ease of use, because that, that basically explains the Nitrous 9 and MultiView. So what is ease of use? How is that different than the regular Nitrous 9 or OS 9? Oh, I guess I, first I should go a bit of history of Nitrous 9 first itself. So that's OS 9 level two. Um, in 1992, and we've talked about this before, it was revealed that the 639 attached chip, which several people had been putting in Cocos already at that point, because it was a drop-in replacement and it was running much cooler. It only took one-tenth the power. Um, and it was available for up to three megahertz. So if you're one of those guys that were tweaking your clocks and stuff to overclock it, it actually did pretty good. Um, came out in 1992 across the listservs and, and off the internet, some stuff came in from Japan from an old magazine called OFM88, which was for the Vijitsu FM series computers, which ran 6809s as well. 
that the 609 actually had a whole bunch of extra hidden features. It had extra registers. It had a native mode that ran faster, block memory instructions, hardware, uh, multiply and divide, all kinds of things, bit, bit commands, et cetera. And Kevin Darling did a quick experiment, I believe it was in April. Chet, you might correct me if I'm wrong because you were around for that time too when that happened. Um, but basically he tested and said, yeah, this does seem to work. These new commands do work. Mm -hmm. Gee, somebody should do something with OS 9 about that. And uh, the first person to do that was Chris Burke of Burke and Burke fame, who we mentioned in the news earlier. So he did a pro product called Power Boost. And Power Boost basically ran in emulation mode. So it ran as a 6809. It just used the extra instructions and the extra registers to speed up and optimize certain things, especially like disk drivers and screen scrolling and stuff like that. And then uh, uh, Bill, I'll let Bill Noble take over a bit here because him and Wes Gale um, met at the Pacific Northwest Fest in, was it 92 or 93? It was in 92. 92. And you guys start talking about doing a full native mode implementation to gain that extra 10 to 15% of native mode speed on top of the extra stuff that you're doing. So if you want to kind of take it from there, Bill, and explain what exactly got you guys started on that and how that came about. Well, actually, it was actually at that Pacific Northwest show uh, that, well, Wes invited me to actually uh, tag along for his presentation for uh, telecommunications on the compu uh, color computer. And at the time, I was actually uh, working on a project with Wes and uh, Chuck West or Charles West and Ron Byler for the actual RIBS system. And we were actually uh, doing a lot of code updates for the RIBS system to make PyDonet a little bit more useful. But at that show, uh, we actually got to see the Power Boost software from Chris Burke. And that's where we were actually started talking with each other that, hey, how about if we actually were to take the actual OS9 kernel and OS9 boot file and completely change it so that it ran in full 6309 native mode. And after the show, we got back to uh, Wes's house and we started really discussing this about what it would take to actually do it. And that's where it actually started with the actual disassembly of what at the time it was OS9 P1, P2, REL, and the actual main file managers, which is RBF and uh, SEF and IO man. And that completely uh, started the actual whole project of actually getting it all going. Uh, so once I actually got back to Saskatoon where I was living at the time, uh, I took this information and I took it to Curtis and I said, well, here, this is what we want to try to do you think it's possible? And, and I said, uh, no. <laughs> Curtis, of course, he said no. And I said, okay, let me prove it to you. So I actually started with the disassembly of REL and uh, OS 9 P1. And I found in the whole operating system itself where it actually did all the actual stack registers and everything like that for the interrupts. And I found the locations of what needed to be changed for when registers get dumped onto the stack, it switches to the next process, restores those registers for that process and goes on. And I can't remember exactly how long it took me to do that, but I believe it was around three or four months 
that I actually uh, finally got it working one night. And I ended up phoning Curtis and I said, I got it going. Yep. It's running in native mode. <laughs> so I forego sleep and I quickly got dressed. I was like two in the three in the morning because we were working night shifts. Yeah. And uh, I drove down to work where he was doing it, and uh, I ended up staying. And then, you know, I, then I had to do some actual work, you know, later on in the morning. But yeah, I was quite surprised because I, I it was it was a huge project to be able to disassemble an operating system from scratch without ever having done that before, figuring out how it all worked, and then patching it to work with the new CPU. And I just figured that's too much for one person to bite off. I had heard a bit about the uh, upgrade that Kevin Darling and the rest, but that was a team of like over a dozen people doing it. I figured there's no way, you know, one or two people can just do this and uh, they'll prove me wrong. Yeah. So the, the well, last that, thing I'll, oh, go ahead, Bill. Oh, I was just going to say, and that's what started uh, the Nitrous 9 Pro uh, at that time. Yep. Yeah, and then we first went on sale later in 1992, because as soon as you showed me that, that's when I joined in, because I was going, holy cow, you guys actually did it. And, uh, so there was the three of us, and then a couple of years later, Alan DeCock joined in too. And then, um, you know, years afterwards, I mean, all of us started slowly getting burnt out because we were doing it, you know, constantly for years. And I think I was the last one standing at the end of 2001 when 2.01 was released, and I, I, I couldn't do it anymore either. So then we decided, what are we going to do with this? Because originally it was a commercial product that sold for like $35. In fact, um, if I find it, I have the manual here. So this is the original one was called an expeditor back then. This is the 1.15 manual from 1993 from Gale Force Enterprises, which is West Gale's company in BC. And uh, at the, you know, the last few years, we just did free updates for everybody. We weren't charging for it anymore because everybody who was going to buy it already basically bought it. And then after we, you know, just decided we were getting too burned out on this, what are we going to do with it now? I mean, we could have been hoarders and just kept all the code and just kept it. But we decided, no, you know what? The, the community's helped share in this and they've, they've paid us a fair bit of money over the years to develop it let's just give it back to the community so we arranged with boise pete sent them all the source code for stuff we had and that was a couple of hard drive crashes so we didn't have quite everything that we had originally but most of it was there and we sent it back to boise and that's how the nitrous nine project you guys see on the web started because then he took it over and robert galt and a bunch of others joined in gene heskett and i can't remember all the names that are in there but basically they took it over and then uh, i got back into it around 2017 and i think bill about a year later kind of, you know, the, the itch was yeah. happening again. So we rejoined again. And Ease of Use was built from that. And that Ease of Use was kind of speared by um, Nick Morentes because he always complained. I mean, we were talking back and forth between Disk Basic and OSN, the whole war thing that was going on in the 90s and the 2000s, you know, which is better, which which is more useful, et cetera. So he was always saying, oh, it's a pain in the ass. If you boot it up, you try to install something, it crashes, it breaks, and then that's it. I'm done. And he had a, I think it was a, what was it, Nick, a 30 second rule that if you couldn't get something running in 30 seconds in Nitro Design, that was it, you were done yeah. and you went back to something else. <laughs> That's it, shut down, move on. <laughs> <laughs> Which happened a lot. Um, <laughs> so the whole point of ease of use, and this is a new approach that I, neither Bill nor I had taken back in the old days. We were the hardcore geeks back then. We wanted to you know, make it more powerful and put in all these fancy system calls and speed things up and whatever else. But we did not have much consideration for a user that was not familiar with OS9, not familiar with Unix. And um, the difference here is I came back into it after 15 years and enough of it had changed that I was having problems figuring out what some of the new commands were and how the syntax changes and stuff. So I went, you know, I kind of understand why the uh, users like Nick were complaining 15 years ago because I don't understand this anymore and I help write the damn thing. <laughs> so 
then we decided to take a stab at trying to make it user-friendly in some ways, I, both the install process, which basically is here's a hard drive image, drop in your STC, type DOS, that's all you need to know. It'll fire up, uh, you know, and, and also concentrating much more on the GUI side of things because that's just generally easier because every modern computer works that way. So that if you know how to click a mouse and select a file, I mean, you're, you're basically halfway there already. So that was the other big thing. And then we also wanted to get back to the geeky stuff of adding in new stuff and, you know, expanding the capabilities, speeding it up still even more. And things had changed over the years too, because Boise, when they, when they took it over, instead of concentrating just on the 609, which is what we did, Nitrosonide's commercial product was only 609. That's all it ever was. They actually backported it back to the 609. So some of the new features we'd been adding in actually got added back in on the 609 side of things. <clears throat> so one thing I've concentrated on the last few years here is trying to get the 609 more optimized speed-wise, especially in the graphics engine, to get it closer to the 609 so that if anybody wants to write a game using standard calls or basic nine or whatever, that they'll have a much better experience and much faster graphics response now than they would have been originally. And, and that way you, you have a base that's a lot higher that you can shoot from. Um, so basically, uh, the whole purpose of ease of use, and it's kind of fivefold, there's five parts to it. One is make it much easier for to use for the casual user. And that's both for installing it, as we mentioned, and for running it itself. There's a lot of you know, technical geek stuff you can still do, a lot of command line stuff you can still do. You don't have to, though, to use it, which in the old days, you pretty well did have to. Number two, we want to fix many programs that have been broken over the years. Because a lot of the commands have changed, et cetera, some of the older software that we no longer have source code for doesn't work. Uh, you'll run it, you'll get weird errors, and it just doesn't react properly. So I'm gradually going through and trying to decompile or disassemble some of these things or patch them in place if I can uh, to fix them up to use some of the new stuff. And I, we're gradually adding programs as we go every release of ease of use. We have thrown in some more. Some of the ones on this one, as as uh, has been mentioned by Rob, aren't quite there yet, but they are running, which they weren't properly running before. And there was still some tweaks, obviously, we have to do, so that'll just keep happening. That's an ongoing project. Uh, optimize and enhance NitroSign itself. Uh, there's some of that in this new release. There's new features that we'll be going through. Um, have all kinds of driver special fonts and base graphics programs and stuff pre-installed. So everything is at one's fingertips without them having to figure out how to get it all to work together. This was a rather fatal flaw on the original one because, well, one, because it was on floppy drives mostly, so you didn't have a lot of room for this kind of stuff. But, you know, people would, you know, hard code a game for a certain font they wanted, but they replaced the system font with this new font. So if you ran their program first, then tried to run something else, it didn't show up correctly because all of a sudden they'd redefine some alt characters to be like, you know, card deck suits or something like that. And you're expecting it to be something totally different. And it, it caused a problem because everybody was overwriting each other's stuff. Um as far as, you know, people in the old days did get put buffers. They didn't think of a way to make it unique to their program, their process. Now it's recommended get your ID number because everybody, every process has its own ID number. And if you're doing any custom get put buffers, you do them in the group under your ID number. That way, you know, you've kind of reserved them for yourselves. Well, in the old days, people weren't doing that. So you'd run one game in one window. They'd load up group number one with a bunch of graphics. And then you'd run a game in a second window, which also is using group one. So it probably redid all the graphics the first program thought it had. And then you go back to the first program, it's just gobbledygook because it's not even the same size, get put buffers, different colors. It just turned into a schmozzy mess. So that we're trying to standardize things so that there's base stuff that's always same and consistent and will kind of you know, kind of be the gatekeepers on some of that stuff. You submit a font, like Todd Wallace did his uh, IBM CJ font. We've actually inserted it officially as font number 42, as an example. So that way you'll know that that's going to work no matter 
no matter what. If you have EOUs, that's what that font is. Hey, Curtis, real quick, since you mentioned yep. sta- standard standardization, uh, mm-hmm. William Carlin in the chat had had um, was was asking about the differences of the T mode pause and between the, the Nitrous Nine in the repository yes. and EOU. Well, actually, the 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 uh, both versions are on there now. The reason we switched it briefly back, and I haven't, I promised to get this fixed for the last one, and I didn't quite get that done. So basically, the original OSN level two had T mode and X mode using a certain syntax. And then in the 90s, a third party replacement for it came out that was a bit more powerful, but it did a, a different standardization of how those commands work, which was totally different than the original. So anybody who wrote programs that did shell T mode pause, that doesn't work anymore. And uh, we were trying to install a lot of the older software, like the old Radio Shack software and stuff, which did depend on the original syntax. So we put them back as the defaults. But if you do tmod2 or xmod2, that's the newer version. So if you have a script, you can just replace the character, the last character, change it from an E to a 2. That's a temporary stopgap to get it so you can run it either way, depending on your program. Eventually, uh, we're going to actually make what we're going to call fat binaries. It'll handle both syntaxes. So you just run xmode, and it doesn't matter if you're running an old program or a new one it'll figure out the syntax you're trying to do and, you know, do it appropriately. So that's, that's an upcoming future thing. But for now it was a hack so that we could actually get it, you know, old programs running and new programs running. You just have to remember on the newer ones to change the command to have a two as a last character of the command instead of a E for X mode and T mode. I think I just dealt with that this morning. So thank you for the X mod two tip. Yeah, I think we documented that one of the earlier AOUs, but uh, a lot of people are getting into it late. Don't go back and read the previous. Yeah, I didn't read it. I just copied my old X mode from the hard drive <laughs> right over beta 6. And all and, else uh, fails, read the destructions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which brings us up to the last part, and this is a bit newer. Uh, this wasn't part of our original ease of use thing. Um, is to redo the entire manual set. Now, we've started on the main OS 9 Level 2 manual. Two parts are up now that have all the new enhancements, all the new features, uh, bug corrections, um, uh, brand new commands, et cetera, brand new system calls. We've got the window section done and we've got the technical reference section done. And this even includes third party stuff. So this is a uh, pretty expensive. I think the technical reference section is a hundred pages bigger than the original one was. And we're starting on the OSI commands reference one right now and the basic 09 manual. Basic 09 won't have too many changes, but it's a large manual, so that's going to take some time. And the commands one, I mean, there's so many third-party commands that we've got included and so many new ones that have been made over the years, so many changes that that's going to be a huge rewrite too. That's probably going to be less than half of it will be the original. Um, but those are ongoing projects too, and that's part of it too. We eventually plan on getting to the C compiler, development system manual, this, you know, the uh, Pascal manual, the uh, multi-view manual. Like we want to get everything up to date to what Nitrous 9 is doing now not just the stuff that was released in 86, 87. So that's an ongoing project too. And I'd like to thank Jay Cyril, who's actually helped quite a bit on doing the typesetting and, and a lot of the typing and getting everything ready for that, for the two manuals that we have out now available on my website. Question, uh, Curtis? Yep. Um, is there going to be part of the manual uh, what the differences were between the uh, old versions and the new versions so that uh, people who do program using the old version can know what the actual differences are and accommodate? Well, for the most part, we're trying. I mean, XMO and T-Mode is an exception because we had no control over that when it came out. But most of the time, we're trying to make things backwards compatible. Uh, so some of the system calls where we've added new features, we we do have backwards compatibility modes in them where you can set a certain byte 
to say, you know, just leave stuff alone the old way. Um, so we are documenting those in the manual. I hadn't really thought of doing an actual specific, like here's exactly what's different, but if somebody wants to volunteer, I can definitely help them with that. That's, that's actually not a bad idea. So at any rate, um, we're now at the point, uh, we're in the last phases of beta testing. We've put out uh, the one GIMIX run of uh, testing. We've put the second one of the main ease of use beta six, uh, for the 609 and 609 on the STC out uh, earlier this week, which is adding drive wire. Uh, Bill will be covering the drive wire stuff. I don't have driver installed in mine, so I'm always kind of like running blind. So Bill will be doing a demonstration of drive wire, what it's capable of doing, how we've got it set up so you can easily switch between the two. And there's a reason for that I'll get into in a little bit too. Um, but I'll be covering more of the, the base operating system stuff here. So currently I think our list is 53 things that have been changed or added on the current beta. Um, it will be out before Christmas. Christmas Eve is the absolute latest day. If the beta test, we found a few bugs we're fixing. Um, thanks to Nick Morota, thanks to, um, who was the other one? Uh, Ron Klein have found some bugs that we've uh, done. And uh, Rob Inman's pointed out a few that I don't think will quite get fixed like for some of the third party stuff, but at least we know to contact the author to, to work on them, uh, like M-Shell, for example. Um, so basically there's some documentation becoming with all the new features and what's been added and changed, some new system calls and stuff like that. So there's basically two public versions that'll be out. Uh, the 6809 version, the 639 version, those are meant for the Cocoa SDC. And it's a self-contained uh, VHD file, just mount type DOS. That's it. That's all you need to know. If you're running on the emulators like VCC or OVCC or MAME, it also comes with a little floppy boot image. And the floppy it does the EmuDisk driver so that it can run the emulated uh, driver that actually will access the file you know, directly from your PC, Mac, Linux machine, whatever you're running your emulator on. And the reason we did that is that uh, it's it's a lot of maintenance to make these VHD files because they're 128 meg. So this way we can share the same hard drive between emulators and the real Cocoa. In fact, I do that all the time when I'm doing development here because I'll do changes on the hard drive. And if I want to test in the emulator, I just boot the emulator up and it, it runs the exact same hard drive image. The only thing different is the boot itself, what drivers it needs to run under the emulator. So that's that's a big time saver for us. And we basically just have a 6.3.9 and a 6.8.0.9 version of each. Now we're also working on the Gimme X version. And uh, this version here is the first one that officially has Gimme X support. Now that obviously that board's still in beta itself. So we've been sending out to the beta testers. And the thing we're supporting on this first release is the DDR memory uh, version of it, which is basically if you have one of the newer RAM upgrades that uses S static RAM or STRAM, uh, static RAM, uh, you will get to run at 2.86 megahertz, which is a noticeable speed increase. And that works on the 6809 or the 6309 they both get sped up. And I'll be demonstrating a little bit of that here too, uh, today. So that's the first part. We're starting at in the extra palettes and the extra graphics, some of the extra graphics modes that you know fit natively into the way the graphics drivers work fairly easy in the next version, but that's our first one. So once the GameX is released, you get the speed increase, which is, you know, you can never have a Cocoa that runs too fast. So anyway, for the first part of the demo here, I'm gonna show it the 6809 version. Um, so this is just straight, 68 stock, no GIMIX speed up enable at this point. And the first thing you'll notice here, once I hit enter on the DOS here, is um, the initial load screen, uh, which we're going to be fixing for Robert Galt that he mentioned on composite. It's, it's unreadable, and that was a mistake on my part. I got spoiled. The GIMIX on the composite output actually outputs RGB colors. So if you set a gray on RGB, it comes out gray on the composite 
from the gimme export. That's not what happens on a regular composite. <laughs> it comes out pink. So um, the colors we picked look really nice in RGB and they look absolutely unreadable on, on composite because I totally forgot the gimme X is changing all the colors. So we'll be patching that before the official release. So thanks to Robert Galt on Facebook for pointing that out when he tried it on beta five. Um, so we'll get that all fixed up too. So at any rate, uh, the first thing you'll notice here, that part actually identifies this is a 6809 boot. And this is the new splash screen, which actually gives you information on ease of use itself. And also it scans your hardware and gives you a, kind of like a mini BIOS report, like how much RAM you have. Do you have an SDC installed? Do you have a GIMIX installed? Is your CPU a 6809 or a 6309? Is it running in native mode or is it running in emulation mode? Hey, Curtis yep. and Rob, uh, I lost YouTube. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, well, that's pretty major if that happened. Uh, uh, I think I still have it. I still have I it. I still you, got it. You can yeah, put that. It looks stuff. like everybody else is still watching. Yeah, so, all right. you, you can, you guys, you can put this stuff in the Zoom chat. Anyone on the panel sees anything technical, so that we don't stop the, the show. So, I don't see any problems with YouTube. So, please continue and, and let me know if there's anything else in. Um... Okay. Now, I'm not sure how well this is going to show up uh, audio-wise, but I'm going to type in the date here. Now, there is uh, an update on date stuff. That's part of the bills. Bill's part of the game here, but we're still typing it in because I don't have a real-time clock in this machine. But uh, one of the features we added is the option for key click. Um, but basically, every time you hit a key, it makes a little clicking sound, which is nice and audible, like if you want to use an adventure game or a word processor or something like that. And you can turn it on or off by the window, so you can have some windows with it and some without. And if you create new windows from another window, whatever your state of key click was gets inherited by the child one. So if I create a window from one, it inherits the key click. If I had key click shut off, then the next window that comes up from that window is still silent. So you get to inherit them as much as you want. So I don't know if this will show up or not, but I'll just type in, what is today's date? December 12th. So let me know if you can hear this over top of my me mechanical keyboard here. <laughs> so actually I'll try to hold up closer to the speaker. Do you have to put the forward slash in? Guess not. You can use space or slash or colon. Oh. Actually, on the stock Coco, the key click works best for key repeat indication. Otherwise, the keyboard's loud enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially point. on mine, because I've got Ed's mechanical keyboard, so it's got the nice, you know, old IBM style loud nice clicky, clicky stuff. Yeah. I just bang mine hard to make sure it registers. <laughs> <laughs> nice yeti, Curtis. And here's another thing that's new. Like it loaded all the standard fonts, graphic pointer stuff. And then it says loading extended patterns for MV Canvas. Now MV Canvas um, is a graphical editing program, kind of like a Coco Max for OS9 written by Mike Holland. Is that how it's pronounced, uh, Chet? Yep. Okay. Uh, was actually uh, worked with Chet uh, on uh, Hypertech, I believe, if I remember correctly. Yes. You guys kind of ran that together. You did some more of the disc, disc basic stuff, and he did some of the OS nine stuff. Yeah, he and Eric did the, uh, the did all of the uh, uh, OS nine stuff and OSK stuff. Okay, so a basically, MV Camp. Go ahead. A quick question, Curtis. When you're launching um, EIU, you you can launch it directly from the STC Explorer, can't you? You don't have to. Um, yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. I'm not doing off. that for this demo here because I'm going to be switching back and forth between the different betas for the different uh, CPUs and stuff. So, can you show the whole screen? Pardon me? The whole screen is cut off at uh, the bottom. Oh, cutting, yeah, it's sorry. cut off a little bit at the bottom. Yeah. <clears throat> there you go. <clears throat> kind of jury rigging this, so. Pull back a little. Well. 
Spielberg over here. We'll get a. We'll get to. <laughs> this is the director's cut. <laughs> Ron Spielberg. Yeah. Can you yeah. move the table back a bit? Yeah, I might have to here. I just. I know we kind of did this Nick before here, but we had more time to prepare tonight. This that time. bookcase is too close on the left. Can you like move the whole house to the right? We need How about just move the house? <laughs> just shift the house a bit. Leave the camera oh, where I'll it is. I'll just shift the, the earth uh, from yeah. here. And where's the cover to your cocoa? Well, I've got the cover off right now because when I go on to the other show to show them a bit of ease of use, I'm also going to be showing off the Gimme X because they haven't really heard of that. So I've got the cover off so I can actually show them what the Gimme oh, X and stuff looks okay. like. So, Oh, cool. Do you have your screws still? Somewhere. I have no idea where that is. No, he's got a few screws loose. Remember where the long ones and the short ones go. Yep. Yeah. So we know the switching so brakes work. Okay, keep, keep Yeah, the long ones go. <clears throat> the long ones go through the plastic case. <laughs> so as, as Rick was mentioning, uh, if you have key repeat on and key click on, you can actually hear each one. So I'll just quickly demo that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that a click or you farted? <laughs> <laughs> That's the sound effects of my new game. Um, Could be both. It's the sound when you put something in the trash can. Could be both. <laughs> and you'll notice, like, if I go to these other windows here and I hold down the key, I don't have key click turned on in that particular case. No. So you can turn that on. You can just type in key. I'm not a lefty typer. This is going to suck. <laughs> I'll use command history, so I don't have to retype this whole damn thing. And now it's not doing the sound effect anymore. Oh. So that's one know. new feature. We don't know because you didn't put your mic there. Oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's just a click. We it's heard it click. okay. Silence sounds the same we, whether the mic's there or not. We didn't hear it okay, too. Did <laughs> <laughs> you might. I like it because I'm bad on leaning on key repeat and uh, getting myself in trouble, so... Thanks. Yeah, uh, this gives you an audio cue to let you know, hey, wait, you fell asleep in the keyboard again, Nick. <laughs> oh, no, I just saw the uh, trash can there, so I woke up. Dragon Bites has a question for Curtis. Okay, yeah, you you have to read these out here because I can't see the chat yeah. screen right now. Is, is that blue background the original Nitrous 9 blue? It looks darker like palette value number one. Yeah, we did change it because the contrast is better on the darker blue. Now, we have to translate that for composite. That's the one problem because it comes out as a hideous green on composite. Um, and like I said, I got kind of fooled by the Gimme X because it remaps that to look like RGB colors on the composite. So um, I'm not sure if that's going to have to change. I think there is a dark blue. It's just a different palette. And, and Bill and I are working on some patches to Cisco to uh, kind of fix up the palettes after figuring out what monitor type you have um, in the configuration file. That's a sweet uh, trash can he got there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll make it tall and Checks thin now. It's a little tall. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> And friends don't let friends use NTSC composite with Coco 3. So please purchase a switcheroo from CocoMan.biz. Right, that's just good good sense. <laughs> now, one thing, if you, if you haven't ran Nitrous 9 or OS 9 since the old days, is that the graphical update here of drawing this stuff is a lot faster than it used to be. And actually, this has been gradually increasing on the 6809 side. The last few versions, we did some more speed-ups this time. So screen clearing, screen scrolling, um, some wider get put buffers. 
the line drawing command for horizontal lines, the box filled box command, et cetera, are actually running another five to ten percent faster on the six nine. They, they were even from beta five. So that's you know part of that continuing trying to get the six nine as close as possible six or nine. So you have a nice base standard of speed to work with. I, I have a little tiny suggestion that you might never want to do, but then again, you might want to. The little box in the top left corner and the little X up there. Mm -hmm. Uh, trying to navigate to that and hold the mouse still and get it on there and, and click it is a little difficult sometimes. Yes, and that is something that is being worked on. It's mainly we're awesome. going to see if we can implement Nick's uh, and Sockmaster's high-res software interface so cool. that you get pixel by pixel instead of having to plug in a high-res joystick interface to get pixel by pixel because right now it's scaling it for a regular joystick, and that's what mine's doing because I don't have my high-res plugged in, but it's moving like eight or 10 pixels every time you move it left or right. So that does make those targets hard to hit. Assuming that's even, a, go ahead. I was going to say, it used to be even worse than that. In particular, the Tandy menu, the pop-downs were only active for the width of the original menu, not the drop-down. So you had to stay within the X all the way down yeah. the line until you picked something. And that was impossible without the high-res and very hard even with it. Yeah. Yeah, I've started up working on that. I was hoping to get it done for this beta, actually, but it's a pretty lengthy routine, and it does shut interrupts off for a really long time in the original, so I'm having to change how it works somewhat to try to lessen that overhead time. Actually, though, um, if you work on it enough, you seem to get a knack of it and can do it quick <clears throat> on occasion. Yeah. <coughs> and then no one else knows why they can't do it. Right. <laughs> So, like I said, I'm just using the old standard deluxe here right now with no high-res interface. So, yeah. So, um, you know, Curtis, I do think you're you're on a somewhat tight schedule, so we should kind of proceed. And if the folks on the panel, yeah, are, it's are it's not super tight. We do have some leeway. Like okay. their show starts at 5 p.m. Eastern, but we're not the first people on it. Guaranteed. There's other people that have to go on early. Okay. Well, and, uh, the show lasts a couple of hours. I mean, Nick and I can pop over there, you know, a little bit later. I'm, we also have wasn't Bill planning Noble to get out, and, you know, sharp at four to, to get to as well. So, folks on the panel, if you can plug in some of your questions into those the Zoom chat, um, or or even better, the live chat, then um, we'll we'll pause for Q and A um, periodically so Curtis can continue moving through his presentation. Yeah, and then if you guys can, uh, you know, I would prefer you do in YouTube chat so it gets recorded yeah, YouTube with the chat show. would be would be best. Um, but, and then that, that yeah. way people that watch the show afterwards that weren't able to watch it live actually will see what the questions are being asked. Yep. And then Mark Mark will be another set of eyes for me, Marco. Okay. So I will demonstrate uh, one just to show the speed of the Gimme X here. I will show uh, Rescue and Flactus or Kime Guy are probably the two best ones to show. Do you guys have a preference or would you rather see both? Anyway. Rescue Fractalus. Thanks, Nick. That's where I was going. Fractalus. Okay. So this is a 6809 optimized version, which is, you know, marginally faster than the original one from Tandy, about 10, 12% faster. And the sound is still horrendous. Actually, I'll turn it down a bit here before we get started. But you will be able, on the Gimme X version, notice the pitch shift that happens because running at almost 3 megahertz. And of course, Rick, Nick picks this one because he he designed the icon. Yeah, I just wanted to see the icon. Okay, can move on and do something else now. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good part. It's all over now. 
<laughs> One thing we had on G Shell in the last version was to be able to launch VDG apps natively without having to run, you know, installer programs. So they launch a lot faster than they used to do in the old days. Now this one I have to switch because I've got my right uh, joystick is my mouse equivalent and my left joystick is what Fractalus wants. So I'll grab my. Hmm. Left I believe there's a product from CocoMan. That horrendous sound. That could help. Visit to an orange planet. And I did parallax scrolling on there just because Nick, Nick did in, in Gunstar, so I did get that. <laughs> so those of you who have played the original Tandy one, this is a bit faster. Like, if you put them side by side, you'll notice the difference. Probably not so much right now. This, no, this is good. So that's in Gimme X mode now. Nope, this is in straight 6809. All right, this is a standard 6309, yeah. Six, now, eight. you have a 6309 optimized version that is about 30 to 40% faster. That's a noticeable speed increase by itself. But when I reboot here, I'll boot right into the 6309 Gimme X to give you the full range of speed difference. Whoa, slow down that action. It's it's, it's, it's <laughs> anyway, That's what that looks like. So we'll just yeah. pop out of there. So you guys want to see what it looks like on a 6 yeah. or 9 at 3 megahertz? Oh, yeah. yeah, get rid of the 6, 8 on 9 stuff. Bring it on. <laughs> I'm taking some Dramamine right now. <laughs> one thing I didn't know about SDC-DOS, it doesn't need the extension. If, if there's only one file of that name, either DSK or VHD, it automatically fills it in for you. So that saves me a bit of typing. Cool. Yeah, I noticed that a while ago. Wow, look at that. It says, give me X. Yep, and it's now it's a 639 native mode. Now we're talking. Mm. Still wants a stupid date and time because everybody man, wants to make a real time, time clock. clock. Yeah. real time clock bad. Yeah. Now, the one thing why we, we found out, and Ed warned us about this, and, and Bill's the one who did the work on the, the Gimme X uh, 3 megahertz patches, is that the SDC will not function at 3 megahertz. It's too fast for the chip to handle. So when we're accessing the actual SDC, we have to drop it back down to 1.78 megahertz when it's doing reading or writing to the, to the SDC itself. But all the transfers of buffers between system and the user, that stuff actually does keep running at 3 megahertz. So running disk-intensive programs won't speed up as much as something that doesn't have to hit the disk all the time. So in five years, when they make the new um, uh, SDCs, you think they'll be faster? That's up to Darren and all the people that manufacture that stuff because it needs reprogramming, possibly a new course chip or something. I'm not even sure. But you can see it right is, now, like the graphics are fast already. Yeah. Right? yeah, everything filled in. This almost crap. feels like a modern oh. machine now. Oh, man. Yeah, well. Wow. <laughs> Except when you're hitting disk. <laughs> How do I get on the beta? What's that red glow in the background? <laughs> That's the flux the capacitor machine, melting. Yeah. The modern machine doesn't access a floppy nearly as fast as this one does. Okay, so you guys remember how fast Fractalus ran on the 6809. Yeah. Optimized 6809, I might add, at 2 megahertz. This is 6309 optimized on the... Uh, Give me X at three megahertz. And there's a bit of a pitch shift because of the three megahertz. Oh, far out. The slight speed increase, Curtis. Oh, just right. a bit. Now it actually looks like a wow. far out. Wow. 
Also much harder to control. (laughs) (laughs) If you're used to the old one. If you had a game on challenge, you would have to block the 6809er guys for cheating. (laughs) I don't know. You might need a... Seriously. We're going to eventually need a a medium speed or a turtle mode for some of these games. (laughs) Turtle mode. (laughs) That's what they call it on the Amiga accelerators. Finally, that guy takes less than a year to get over there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's that's the kind of speed increases you can look forward to, if especially for six three nine optimized. Now, if I show you Kime Guy, um, I mean, I could reboot the six eight zero nine version to show you what it used to look like, but I'm sure you guys have seen seen that when we've played it before on some of the shows. Or I can show you what it looks like on the six or yeah, the Gimme X version of it. Now, this one also pitch shifts everything too. I really wish the SDC would run to three megahertz. Did you guys hear that? Yep. 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 Chipmunks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a girl ninja. <laughs> Oops. It's almost invisible. <laughs> That's ninja skill. <laughs> but, I mean, you can make some pretty decent arcade games even in Nitrous 9 now with that, that extra speed. I mean, you can make a basic game work. What's that? William Carlin. You can make a basic game look fast. Oh, yeah, I can demonstrate that, too. Yeah, Gen Quest. What was the William question, Mark? William Carlin asked if there's a way to make G-Shell launch in 80 by 25 mode. Yes. 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 We, we default to 40 <laughs> column on the boot screen, and we default to 40 column in G-Shell for people with composite and TV monitors who are new to the Cocoa. Like, they just pick one off of eBay and don't have, you know, a SCART cable and all that stuff. So that way they can actually read the screen properly to follow directions. Like, there's instructions screen like how to launch G-Shell. On an 80 column on a TV or an old composite monitor, it's almost unreadable in some cases. So we did that just as a default, but yeah, you can change that. So how about there's a lot of stuff you can change. Sorry. Nightmare highway on a 6309. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So gem quest is a game by flood wrestlers actually working on an update to the game. Now, uh, since I decompiled the source code, many thanks to Wayne Campbell for his basic one, decompiler. Um, I actually had to slow the game down even on the 6809 version because his original version was written for like OS 9 level 2 before we optimized all the graphics. And it was uh, you know programmed with that speed in mind. And the new one, it was running too fast. So I actually inserted sound routines. I inserted sleep calls in a few spots to try to slow it back down. And I was trying to get a nice bell so I didn't have to make different versions for every CPU. But this is going to be running the uh, you know 6 through 9 native mode 3 megahertz, which is quite fast. It's almost impossible to control. So I'm probably going to suck at this, but. (laughs) 
that's using one of the fancier new, you know, standard fonts too. Wow. Oh, whoa. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. This guy's invisible too. Oh, he's, 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 he's like the flash. He set yeah. the screen on fire moving that fast. <laughs> Swing. Oop, ran right in the fire. Wow. Oh, oops. <laughs> Barbecue. You should also run uh, a program that was really slow back in the day under OS9, Home Publisher. Oh. And it's still it, really slow even now. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it, it's a bit better maybe under the Gimme X. Yeah, I, I guess it can run. Do I, I, you guys know what Home Publisher normally ran like? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thirdly, it sucked. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, so. it's better for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Could get any worse. Do you remember? <laughs> did I put the apps or graphic apps, um, Rob? Do you remember? Uh, it's in um, um, apps, I think. Oh, okay, I guess strongly. I don't know. No, yeah, I think it's. No, just... it is near. Here it is. Oh, it is. Okay. It probably did, doesn't need to say please wait anymore. Oh, it still does. <laughs> home, pub home publisher. I mean, I have to give them a bit of slack because they created this thing to run with just legal OS nine calls. There's no direct screen rights at all. It's all through get put buffers. They had to run in one twenty eight k, so they keep reloading buffers every time you load a new image. Like they don't keep them around for fast access. Um, and because it's running on a two color screen, there is a fast put if you're on an even byte boundary, which the Coco threes H put does as well. It'll go like way faster because it doesn't have to bit shift everything. Well, because you're on a two-color screen, you have a one in eight chance of lining it up correctly to get the fast version. So every once in a while, you will see a draw graphics fast, but seven out of 10 times, it's draw, doing a dog slow because it's reshifting the image in memory every time. And of course, it's the other joystick, so just a second. Or is it trying to do, oh, I might be trying to do the high risk. I'll just switch the keyboard mouse. So, like I said, it's still slow, but it is it is noticeably faster if you compare it side by side with the stock one. Yeah, well, this is how fast I was hoping it would be back in the day. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> when, when I saw that and booted up for the first time, I shut it down and never ran it again. <laughs> well, the uh, night, I thought the that was a demo. <laughs> I thought it was like printing that slow intentionally, but that's really how fast it goes. I yep. actually used it for school projects wow. and I, I suffered through it and I actually printed stuff. I out. mean, it does work. I will give it that. Um, <laughs> so does now, the square tire. Nowadays that 128K is not in insistence and you definitely can do direct screen writes. You can just, you know, map to get put buffers in and manipulate them directly. I would rewrite part of this, you know, for 512K and just say, if you're loading a graphical image, Keep them in memory, first of all. Don't di di ditch it as soon as you need the next one. And two, pre-shift them uh, for the other seven positions so that they're immediately available at full speed. And then you could speed this up drastically from what it is now. Yeah. But they were trying to live within the limitations of the original spec. This is a worst-case scenario that we're looking at now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> this was a 512K um, program, right? 128. Oh, really? 128, yeah. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Original, yeah. 
Yeah, they could have done a lot better with it if they'd made 512 the minimum, but they, yeah, Andy wanted to sell stuff, so they wanted to run a 128. Yeah, that's what I mean. People coming back. And then, uh, I mean, like graphic windows and stuff, like text windows are quite fast. So I'll just go to something that has a large file in it. Um, Look at him go. You can see the pauses of the SDC here. Wow. So what's a nice big one here? I'm not doing you know, I don't know how spoiled you are, but uh, the dr uh, floppy drives were real slow. SDC was <laughs> real fast, and now it's slow again. <laughs> yeah. So this this is this is an eighty by yeah. twenty five hardware text window. So this is the the the, the drawing speed and scroll speed. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> uh, yes, please. Uh, <laughs> Everybody wants to say it. Take my money. Take my money. <laughs> right. Right. You could, do you sell canisters to go over the top of the cocoa to catch the smoke from coming out from going so fast? <laughs> Is shift at pause. I have to say, you get spoiled pretty quick. The shift at. What pauses it when it's going by so quick? Control W on. It stands for oh, okay. wait. Okay. <coughs> so you this year I'm, I'm now running. Time. I'm now running a 640 by 200 two color graphics window. So this is a 16K screen. <clears throat> I've switched it over to Todd Wallace's IBM CJA font, so you can see the bolder characters, and it actually looks like the IBM CJA font did. And I'll do that same listing. Now, for those of you who remember running listing of graphics text when or graphics uh, text on the original OSN level two, it was dog slow. <laughs> so that's actually running faster in a graphics mode than the original OSN level two did in a text mode. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> wow. And you can that's switch impressive. colors and fonts and everything else. That's seriously impressive. Mm-hmm. And then just for completeness sake. Hmm. Now I'm running in the four color 640 by 200 mode. So this is a 32K screen has to scroll. And now we're down to Coco text screen speed. Yeah. It's the, the original. <laughs> Actually, I think it's a little faster than the original if I remember correctly. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> But I mean, it's it's lightning faster. I mean, even on the six eight oh nine and six three nine versions, if you if you booted up stock level two and then you switch to the current versions of ease of use, it's way faster on all those modes on any CPU. So if you've come back to the Cocoa after years of being away and you're used to what OS nine level two ran like originally, if you bought it from Tandy, it's hugely faster across the board. That's amazing. Back in the oh. days when we just had our Cocoa one, you know, <laughs> it's nothing like. Wants to know if this is 16 color mode? Uh, I was running four color mode on the text screen. This is four color mode here right now. We don't have a 640 uh, 16 color mode, unfortunately. Well, I guess maybe the Gimme X. Well, the Gimme X does. Gimme X will. But... This one, I might as well run the bouncing ball demo because that's one we always use as a test. Can you still see it? <laughs> <laughs> the ball goes probably, flat. You probably can't see it, can you? 
<laughs> so this this is uh, six or nine three megahertz, but this is a basic program, a basic nine program. It's not no machine language at all. It's just standard or standard you know control codes. There's no special optimization with ML routines or anything. It's just straight basic. It's already faster. It's loading. Mm. Well, I guess it's faster. <laughs> yeah, if you put them side by side, this is a little bit less noticeable because if you run full 60 frame per second, it because I'm flipping between two different windows. Well, most of the it, graphics uh, are blurred. <laughs> well, that's the Yeah, I also don't know how it's showing up in the stream. Um, but basically, I, I'm page flipping between two different 32K screens here so that you don't get the Mona Lisa, you know, getting drawn over top of the ball when it goes underneath. And I'm actually sleeping because it's going fast enough now. It actually catches it mid-frame and looks like a garbled mess. So I'm actually <laughs> sleeping every second frame uh, for one sixtieth of a second, not doing anything. So it's actually purposely slowed down so that it doesn't get all jittery. And have you still got Home Publisher running in the background? Just yep. hit clear. There you go. Your basic <laughs> ball runs faster than my basic ball. Right. And so just for, you know, on a two meg machine here, I've still got 1,536K free. And the system app, which is the critical thing, we'll get into that in the drive wire demonstration here too. Uh, yeah. I've got 7K <laughs> free right seven. now running all this. You're down to seven? Yeah. And then PMAP, this is your process map. So this is uh, dot dots means that 8K bank's not being used for that process. So you can see that, you know, run B, which is running... Uh, is giving me like uh, three blocks of 8K are being used for the run B itself and then one block for the program. Uh, publisher is taking three blocks for itself and using two blocks for its own data memory and stuff. So, and the system right now, everything's full, though not completely full. Bye, David. And you can still hear the ball bouncing in the background while I'm doing all this too, so. So anyway, I mean, uh, you guys know most of the rest of the Nitrous 9 stuff, so I'm not going to demonstrate every little thing here. I'll be doing a bit of a more game-oriented, user-interface-oriented uh, demo on the ICC group later today, uh, which we'll probably post the links to it next week's show, in case you guys want to watch that, because it'll be a little bit different than this presentation. What's that graphics program look like? MV Campus? Yeah. Yep. You want to show that, Curtis? Um, I can. Do you have enough memory sure how dare you I'd like to see yep you can run home publisher and uh, MB canvas side by side right actually it's not the original icon I don't have the original icon unfortunately Um, and and as a uh, proponent of the 640 mode, I like to point out that you you have a 640 uh, four color mode on here. Yeah, you can actually switch between all four different modes that uh, Nitrous Nine basically supports. Three twenty two hundred. That's what I'm in right now. Can you can you put a picture in there and then alter it? 
Yep, there's uh, some samples. Yeah. Yeah, I probably shouldn't pick Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the sample VF template. Um, if you want to create custom tile sets for Shanghai under OS 9, you actually draw in your graphics into these different things and it groups them by the different types of tiles. And you can actually import that into Shanghai with the command line option dash T, I think, for tile set equals and the name of the file you made it in. We've got the three in there right now, the traffic one, the card playing one, the standard one, but you can create your own. You just go in MV Canvas, put in your graphics here, save the VF, and then you run it through a little utility that is documented with the Shanghai um, port, and it'll actually make a tile set file for you, and then you can play with your own code. I really found painting patterns to be useful with this program as well. So you want to draw a brick wall, paint the brick pattern. Yeah, I mean, the MB, maybe Canvas extended uh, shapes we were talking about earlier. Um, so this column yeah. here is the standard ones that OS9 comes with. And this column here is the ones that MB Canvas added. So those are the new custom ones. But you can use those in your own programs too. That's not just MB Canvas. They're standard get put pattern buffers. So if you want to make a game and you want to draw shapes that have those, you know, those tile bricks or braids or whatever, you can do that too. Anyway, that uh, gives me a or gives you guys a little bit of a demonstration of you know the speed of the Gimme X for one, and then you know, some of the new programs that have been installed. Home Publisher is one, um, MV Canvas is another. There's a bunch of others uh, that are installed in there. So when you when you uh, there's a new C compiler by um, Jeff Tennyson that actually is optimized, so it actually compiles C programs a little smaller and faster, even existing C code. Um, there's a new help system. I might as well quickly demonstrate that. So when you're running it, it's it, it's running natively at three megahertz. Is that right with the Gimme X? Yes. So uh, when you access the STC, it automatically switches back to the one point seven eight. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I, I wish one, it wasn't needed, but yes. <laughs> there's one thing you haven't shown us yet: a system crash. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> I can do that. Does that show up as a blue screen? <laughs> <laughs> it depends how it crashes. It can be all random. David Ladd used to call them my screensavers because something new and weird would wacky would happen every time. Oh, my this, point this being, version of, sorry, my point being is that you've been running all this uh, and it hasn't crashed, which is a good sign. Yes. Yeah, we're trying to make it a bit more stable. <laughs> <laughs> that so this, only this happens is, to Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, I was actually. I, I joked with Aaron, and when I go into their show, I'm going to get a blue screen USB, you know, def like build it during his USB printer demo. So this new we help system. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was go just going to say, do we understand the old uh, uh, OS nine users are going to be upset with the lack of crashing? But you know, <laughs> things just progress. So. <laughs> so this is the new help system. The one that you'll notice it has a more prompt, so you actually will pause if the screen gets too full. And then you continue on. So here's some stuff we have help on. Now, most of these are just self-contained help, just like the old help. You type in help, you know, X mode, and it'll tell you the parameters for X mode. But some of them have subtopics now, but that's new. So I'll do basic 9 in this case. So it gives you a base description of, of basic 9 what the options are on the basic 9 command itself. But then it starts getting into, you know, some special notes. And then it says further information available for 
command mode, the GFX module, the GFX2 module, and keywords. So if I'm learning basically, I don't have the manual handy, I'm trying to remember a command, I can just type keywords. And here's a list of all the keywords and actually say basic nine keyword subtopic. And now you can get information on just one command in particular, and it can go multiple levels deep. Like if you get in the GFX two modules, there's stuff on how to set up high level, you know, menu handles like uh, G shell does with pull down menus. And that gets it like four subtopics deep. Then when you go back to program, there's no memory left. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just over five twelve K used now. Wow. So if you people with two meg, you're 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 just past the one quarter full mark, and that's with publisher running and MV Canvas running and G Shell running and help on a graphic screen. Wow! What was that, what was that command nice. you typed to to bring up the memory? Well, the depending what type there? of memory you're trying to look at, there's M free will just give you the very brief description. Yep, M map yep. will give you a detailed map, and that actually has parts that tell you what type of memory, as well. There's some reserve module stuff in there. SMAP is your system map. Now, that's the one that we keep running out of it these days, and that's something Bill and I will be working on. And then there's uh, PMAP, which is the process memory, which tells you what each process is actually using. So right now I've got nine programs, yeah, cool. including the system running with various levels. Like Canvas is taking quite a bit. It's a big program, almost 40K. And to kill that, you, you just type kill seven or something like that. Do you? To, to... Yeah, I, I tend not to do that unless I have to. Because uh, sometimes they've tried to allocate system resources or allocate a RAM, and if you kill it off early, depending how the program is written and how it traps a, 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 kill, a, sig a signal, it may not return it. Most programs are pretty well behaved because that was something that was tied to be taught in the manual right from day one, like you know, trap a signal and, and do it properly, like close your stuff down. But not everybody did. Um, and sometimes you just catch it in the wrong spot at the wrong time, and then you start losing memory. You start getting memory leaks like you do in other operating systems. So it's best mm -hmm. to quit cleanly if you can. So yeah, what's, yep. the, what's the command to put that uh, IBM font in? Uh, display 1B3AC842. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah, I saw that earlier, whipping through them display yeah. command and editing the seventh item from the left. And <laughs> Hey, Curtis, Nimble yeah. suggested we put in a crash command for all the uh, OS 9 old-timers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> crash at 15. <laughs> now, one other thing, we did optimize. This is optimized in the 6.809 and 6.09 regular versions too. New to beta 6 is that the 6-bit uh, font, the 6-pixel-wide font. These are 8 we've been showing. It's also been optimized. It's much slower because it still has to do some bit shifting and stuff than these, which actually do whole bytes only. But it is faster by about, I don't know, 6 to 10%. So that's a little bit better, and I'll just show one of those now. I'll pick a, a bolded Macintosh-style six-pixel wide file, which means I'm going to get 106 characters across the screen. Oh, wow. Yeah, here he goes again. This is all in your memory, in your head? Yes, I am a robot. When you're doing it like 50,000 times ago. a day, yeah, you get used to it. <laughs> yep, 30 years ago. He remembers it all. Uh, notice, this is noticeably really... slower, but I am getting 106 columns by 25 lines. Well, read it on a CM8, which is astounding for. Yeah. So that, that's pretty cool. There's also proportional fonts. If you want to fit even more text on the screen where each character only takes the width, the number of pixels are actively used, but that's quite a bit slower because it has to scan every character to figure out, well, how wide is this? And that's a wide all space for the next one. And there's other things like bolding and underline and, you know, changing colors and everything else too. So 
So a, a game for Nick Morota in the future would be to run run the Stu uh, uh, Beta or the you know Alpha Six and see first one to crash it. Yeah, I mean, like we, we wrote this. I mean, ease of use requires five to okay. That's one big thing because the original Tandy specs, and even when they were doing the level two version three upgrade, they were told you have to make it run with 28K. That's not a limit for us anymore. Everybody can get a 512K board for 20 bucks. No soldering required. It's pretty easy to install. I mean, Nick and Rhoda, you installed it. I mean, you had some bit of help, but it was, it was something you normally wouldn't have been comfortable with and you got it installed okay. So that, that frees up a lot of memory to do things faster, more efficiently. And, um, with the optimizations we've done to the 6809 side, you could write some pretty simple arcade games of pretty decent speed just with a 6809 512K. You don't need a 639. You don't need the Gimme X or anything else. You can actually run pretty decently. Yeah, you kind of need the Gimme X. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? <laughs> you kind of need it now. <laughs> <laughs> After watching this stuff, it's like, come on. Well, I don't know about that, Ron. Like, I, I used to be able in the old days, if I had some really large source code listing assembly and I wanted to list it to the screen to look for something, I, I could actually see it when to pause. That <laughs> right. doesn't happen so much anymore. <laughs> I'll pick an actual larger file here. You need a new T-mode option. Or to type at a weird angle like this. Lists. That's uh. <laughs> a composer. Like I can't read that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm watching on the stream. You're seeing it slower than I'm seeing it here. Yeah. Oh, did I catch the right one? Nope. Got to keep nope. going. Oh jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> and that's Amazing. just using legal calls too. There's actually a version of view, a utility for viewing text files that does direct screen rights. It's even faster than that. So it's not really this, this fast. You you've actually pre-recorded this and got Well it no, you're fast. seeing my hand waving in the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so. true. <laughs> oh darn. So yeah, the Gimme X is going to be a, a nice bit of kit when it's released. I know they're still working on some bugs. Like I noticed uh, Ron Klein's been trying to run the RS232 pack with it. And it'll run up to 1200 baud and then it doesn't work on any terminal program past that. Um, so there seems to be a bit of timing issue on the way the Gimme X is handling Gimme interrupts from the cartridge port or something. We're still trying to figure what else is going there. We want this to be stable and, and completely as bug-free as possible before it gets released to the public, which is why it's not been released yet. I mean, we've gotten a lot of bugs fixed over the last little while. Well, no, I shouldn't say we. I mean, Gary Becker and, and Ed Snyder. Um, but it definitely, as you can see here, has a lot of promise. It's it's a pretty awesome upgrade. And, of course, it's running on VGA. It does artifacting colors uh, on VGA or on RGB because your RGB and stuff still works, too. Just for kicks, show us your old gimme chip. chip. <laughs> I don't even have it here. Bill's got my old gimme chip. <laughs> yeah, it's sitting on my bench right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, uh, Curtis. Uh, before we, you know, move too far, I just wanted to to see Doster since I I pointed out uh, Lord Dragon's program in the the video. Um, oh, you you had already run it. Sorry. No, that's. Uh... Oh, there you go. And, and Todd was asking Doster about it. with the IBM font. I should be running his font. You're right. Just a sec. <laughs> Oh, command history is really awesome too. If you haven't used that before, 
How do you insert? Control right arrow. Shift right arrow. Or control right arrow, left arrow for delete. So that's that's Todd's Doster with Todd's IBM CJ font on a four-color graphic screen. It runs faster on a two-color graphic screen if you want to speed that up. Hey, Curtis. Tom yep. Haran, Haran was interested in your uh, memory. Uh, what Your Cocoa, what's the history? Is 128 and then you go to 512, 2 meg? Yep. <laughs> that's kind of what I thought. That, that is precisely the path I took, actually. You know, that's not quite note? true. Did I you have the NoCan board in there? Yeah, I was just going to say that was my one uh, side side trip. Uh, I went 128 to 512, the Tandy 512K upgrade. And um, at work, we went to the one meg disto upgrade. And then when Paul Barton in, what was it, 97, 98, Paul? When you brought out the original NoCan 3, I bought one of those. Uh, right. Which was an yep. eight meg board, and also had a sixteen five fifty serial port and uh, a printer printer port. Yeah, some people printer port. retrievers. But it was also supposed to have the turbo uh, mode to clock double the CPU, kind of like the Gimme X is doing with the three megahertz. But Paul tries; he might. My particular Gimme combination motherboard never worked, so I never got the three yeah. megahertz. So that was one disappointing thing for me. Most people, it did work. It was just my my machine uniquely. Yeah, everyone was different. Yeah, and that's what Frank Hogg hit when they're doing the TC9 because they bought all the gimme chips and they were actually planning on having the TC9 released at 3 megahertz with the clock doubler too, or 4 megahertz. And they had the same problem. They had to give up on it because they had to hand tweak every single board to get it to work. It's oh, remember the, the one of my uh, Cocos was a, a stinky one. It was always trouble, remember? Yep. I had one the other way around. I wrote a bus expansion, well, devised a bus expansion device, but it only ran on my cocoa and everything else I stuck it on, it crashed and burned horribly. So yeah, 10-4 on the variations. Yep. I agree. But you sit there and scratch your head and wonder why, because it, it they all look the same. <laughs> yep. Built much better than my stuff. <laughs> so right, the plan is we'll have this out before Christmas Eve. Uh, if testing goes well and we fix these last couple of bugs that have been reported this last week, week and a half that the beta testers have been hammering on it, uh, it might even be out before that. I won't promise that, but you know, if things go smoothly, it might be out you know a week earlier than that, or or maybe next weekend if we're lucky. And we get um, it where? What's that? Where do we get it? It'll be on my website, and then we also put it up on the uh, Color Computer Archive too, so you'll be able to get it either place. Oh. Today I was with my wife. Uh, we were driving back from a horse thing we went to. And um, I, I, she goes, what, what are you going to do in your show? And I said, well, they're giving a um, demonstration of uh, the newest stuff on OS 9. I said, do you know what OS 9 is? And she goes, yeah, it's an uh, operating system for the color computer, right? I go, Gee, you knew that? <laughs> she goes, yeah. At least she didn't say it was for the Mac. No, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just flipped me out. But she, she, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, System Seven, System Eight, OS Nine. What's wrong with that? <laughs> you know, they actually went to court over it, but unfortunately, Michael lost. Yeah, that surprised me. So, at any rate, um, there's there's 53 new programs or new features added. Um, some of it, Bill will be demonstrating here shortly. Uh, one of the things we've been promising for a while is to get DriveWire working. Now, there's some stuff in the environment files that have been added in to help support uh, some of this stuff. But basically, I will uh, move my camera back to its normal spot here. 
But uh, Bill is the one who did the work in DriveWire because he actually has DriveWire. I don't actually have DriveWire here. I don't have the, the cable or anything else. So I couldn't test any of that stuff. So uh, Bill got everything set up and he, there's an alternate boot. Now, when you download the Ease of Use Beta 6, you'll, it'll default to the SDC mode because I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you people that use DriveWire, but if you have DriveWire fire up in Nitrous 9, but your DriveWire server's not running, it can sometimes hang or crash depending on what you're trying to do. Is that correct? Uh, only when you try to access one of the DriveWire drives. The clock module uh, has its own built-in check. Okay. And it just falls through, but the actual drives themselves accessing have still issues. Okay. Because one, one of the things we wanted to do is make it so that when you download it, you can boot it up in a base SDC system and not have to worry about it. Now, the thing is with DriveWire, it's a bunch of drivers and descriptors because there's a bunch of things. It's not just virtual drives like that you can mount drives. It also has MIDI support. It has fake printer support to save text files. Um, it will get the, the time from your, your host PC that's running DriveWire. There's virtual terminals, which Bill will be demonstrating as well, too. So all that takes more memory out of the system around that 64K SMAP command I was running before. Basically, you have 64K for all the system tracking stuff. And we're down to about you know 10K on a normal boot. We're down to like 7 or 8K on DriveWire with all the modules added in. So once you fire up DriveWire and it starts running and adding, you're running programs and doing other things too, is the system RAM goes down quite a bit lower than it would on a normal to the point where you probably cannot run any level one graphic stuff, like say Biosphere or Zero Gravity or anything like that, Deskmate, the original, because you're out of system. Because the, the old, to maintain compatibility with level one, those graphic modes have to be mapped into the same system map as a system because that's the way level one programs ran. So you have to maintain that to make, make it compatible. Um, so those start not running. If you have something that uses a ton of windows, like the, the bouncing uh, ray trace demo, which uses, I think, 10 screens of high-res graphics and page flips between them, that might not run either. So there is a caveat. If you do the DriveWire boot, some of your older level one programs may no longer run because you don't have a system RAM for it. So what we did is we made two sets of boots, not, not just the OS9 boot file and its you know, appropriate kernel track, which is what most people would do. We also have separate startup files and we have separate environment files because the drives you want to see in G-Shell in the upper left corner that you can click on to select. If you're running just SDC, you'll have like you know floppy drives and, and you know, the SDC drives. On a DriveWire system, you might want some of your DriveWire drives mapped there. Maybe you don't use the floppy drives anymore because you're running on DriveWire. So we have separate copies of each of these. And we wrote a little swap boot utility, which you'll be able to run. And it just says, do you want to run a SDC boot or do you want to run an SDC with driver support boot? You pick it. It automatically copies those files over, links them all up properly, reboots the Coco to the green screen DOS prompt. And then you just type DOS and it reboots with the new setting. So now if you switch from regular to DriveWire, DriveWire is now enabled. If you went from DriveWire back to regular, that's now enabled. I'll be expanding that a little bit later so you can actually make your own custom boots if you have certain hardware or certain other things or even a stock OSI boot or something you want to do. So you actually be able to switch between any of these whenever you want and then just reboot the machine. And eventually we'll get it so it reboots automatically. You don't have to type DOS and it doesn't go right back. I actually have that working now, but the reboot command I'm using to do all of this has a bug when GraphDriv went past 8K. So on the 6.309 versions, it's small enough it still works. You can do a reboot dash R and it'll reboot from where the kernel is. It doesn't reboot right to DOS. It actually just takes care of the whole thing itself. On the 6809, GraphDriv is now bigger than 8K, and it crashes outright because it doesn't know how to handle that. So we'll be fixing that in beta 7, maybe 6.1 if I get to it. But uh, I will now uh, cede the floor to Bill. And Bill, if you want to demonstrate uh, all the drive wire stuff and how that works. 
Okay. Jeez, you guys, you guys remember when we used to do RS DOS all the time? I think I last did that about eighty six, eighty seven. Pretty well been nitrous nine since. So, gee. Any rate, I'm gonna buzz it off. I'll let uh, Bill handle it. Bill, like I said, knows all the technical details too. So feel free to ask him any questions, and he'll be demonstrating all the driveware stuff. Uh, I'm gonna go run off and do the other presentation of nitrous nine on the other show now. So we'll talk yeah. to you guys later. And I'll be um, biling with you. Thank, thanks, thanks for popping by, guys. That was right. uh, very, okay. very, very thanks, cool. Curtis. Fun. Thanks, yeah. you did great. Take it away, Bill. Thanks. All right. So, uh, yeah, where should I start? Hi, Patrick. <laughs> hey, you guys see my screen there? You guys see my screen there? Uh, not yet. There Do we go. Now. Yep, that's okay. working. Okay. Well, first off, we'll give it a little rundown of DriveWire. Uh, this is the actual module directory that I have up on uh, my camera view right now. Uh, there are five key drivers for DriveWire itself. That would be this RBDW, DWIO, SEDWP, and SEDWV, which is just above it here. The rest of them are just descriptors, uh, with, along with your regular other descriptors for Windows. Yes. Uh, we're looking at your uh, DriveWire host on uh, Windows. Oh, maybe I shared too soon here. There, that's better. Ah, there we go. That okay. makes more sense. So that was because I'm taking notes. Okay, so there are five key drivers, uh, which is the RBDW, DWIO, SEDWV, SEDWP and clock two. Now all those drivers deal with this DWIO. The DWIO module is the one that actually does the physical communication between the COCO3 and the DriveWire server. All the drivers go through that module, which is why uh, in some cases, it's a little difficult to use because most people don't get that concept of actually that subroutine module called DWIO. Once you actually have those modules loaded and you have your DriveWire server configured, um, no problem. So as you can see here on my actual G-Shell window, I've actually got the icon set up uh, so that you got your X0, X1, and in this case, X3 or X2 as well, which are the actual drive wire drives. So if I ever actually click, you actually see on the drive wire, uh, from the drive wire server, what I have mounted in drive, uh, drive zero on the drive wire server. The other key thing that I actually have uh, in here is it actually uses the DriveWire server's MIDI 
uh, system. So you actually get your full MIDI uh, system right out of the box uh, that you can use with Altmuse or any other uh, MIDI system. Uh, it's just a matter of changing that particular descriptor to whatever hardware MIDI system that you have. Now, in this case, I quickly loaded up a, a, a tracking alt news, and I'm going to have to kick over uh, so I can share the sound so that you can actually hear this in action. So give me one second. So I will play it now. You guys actually hear sound? So that's actually using DriveWire Server MIDI system. Better stop that because I don't want the show to get a copyright hit. Because <laughs> most of these songs that I have loaded from Bill Pierce's site, which are all cover music that he's actually hand-coded into Altmuse to play. So I don't want to really get too into that, but it actually does fully work. No problems. The other That's great. main thing is we actually do have uh, the full virtual terminals going as well. So I'll just do a quick switch on my screen here. Okay, so now you should see my whole desktop here. You should see my whole desktop there now. Yep. Sure do. I have our, uh, a module that I actually uh, did back in 92 uh, when, with the first uh, initial use of uh, Nitrous 9. I recreated the TSMON module that actually will uh, take support from... file called standard ports that's in the actual uh, sys directory. And what it is is just a list of all the uh, virtual drivers for each of the windows that I want to run. So if I execute this mtsmon, on my screen now you'll actually see three virtual terminals pop open. See what problem there? System can't count. You have four. Yeah. I had one little issue there. Just give me a second. I'm just rebooting here. 
Bill Gates would be envious. So now, actually, on the main PC system, you will have the three windows open. And of course, you can log right in to your main Cocoa 3 from your PC. So you're actually running Nitrous 9 on your PC. Now, I have to, what's that? So I have to do that with Minicom and a serial port. That's not fair. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and this MTS mod, it can actually run in the background so that you're not actually uh, doing anything on, you don't actually see anything on your Cocoa 3, except for, I'll just stop the share here. So here, I type proc, you'll actually see the MTS mod. And then there are other two windows for the virtual terminals. They're still sitting at the login prompt. But on Z3, I'm actually got a full shell running. And each user is individualized on their own. So when I go back here and I want to exit out, I see a clock everywhere. MTS Mon will actually restart that virtual terminal and go back to the login prompt. So it basically handles everything on its own. You don't actually have to do anything on your main COCO to control those virtual terminals. Everything is self-contained on their own. Now, the one problem, and Curtis mentioned briefly, with DriveWire running and those virtual terminals, you can see I've only got, in my system map, one page left of uh, system memory. So it really reduces the... Uh, system space quite drastically with DriveWire. Now, if this was using just straight RS-232 packs or uh, the virtual or the stereo ports that are on the uh, Mega MPI, you will actually get normal uh, system map back. Uh, just DriveWire, it actually chews up quite a bit of your system memory. Just with the Bitbanger. Just with the bit banger, yes. So you've only got a free 7K to load up something else, right? Yeah, pretty much. So if you had 8K, it'd be all right? Uh, 8K is normally what I would have without DriveWire. No, what I mean is 8, eight megabytes or 8. <clears throat> to load a single module, you need 8K free of system RAM. For loading into memory separately, 
Well, what I meant was eight megabytes of RAM. Oh, if you had eight megabytes of RAM, that system map is still the same. That's a hard-coded 64K workspace. You can't oh, change I that. Oh, I see. Okay. And, so and it's I, not a memory of, it's not a matter yeah. of switching blocks. Yeah. So like when I go to my M map, you'll see that I've got still 1,700 uh, oh, okay. 4K yeah. free. All right. And Bill, if you're going to cover this, I'll wait, but but how easy is it to switch over to using my RS-232 pack so I can get back my system uh, It's very simple, actual. Uh, I'll just get back to my module directory here. The only thing that would have to change in the actual DriveWire boot is the DWIO module. Okay. And that will actually go to RS-232 packs, and uh, there are a few of them already built in for uh, Arduino headless uh, uh, booting and all kinds of other different ones. There's probably about seven or eight different DWIOs that are out uh, in the actual repo. I'm slowly converting each one of those. Okay, because a lot of people have that that cartridge. Yes. So you could have you yes. can have your cake. I, I do have too. an RS-232 pack, uh, but the one problem with my RS-232 pack is the receive uh, system in the actual pack itself, hardware-wise, is failed. Uh, transmitting it works fine from the Coco to the anything else, but receiving from anything to back to the Coco doesn't work. So it's a, I have to fix the hardware in, in a little bit, but uh, by the end of the week, I should have the actual parts to, to fix that pack. So I'll be able to get full testing going with the R232 pack. Great. What kind of baud rate are you? Uh, the actual drive wire uh, through the bit banger is running at fifty-seven uh, six hundred for communication between the Coco three and the drive wire server. There is actually uh, a modification that you, uh, on the actual drive wire cable itself that can be made. <coughs> Excuse me. That will actually use a higher rate of 115.2, but it uh, still needs a little bit of tweaking yet under the nitrous nine. Uh, I tried it out, and it does actually communicate, but its timing is a little bit off, so it's not quite perfect yet. It's about the same problem I'm having with the Gimme X. <laughs> So have you guys tested this? Well, I guess your people that are testing it have different variations of color computer. Yes. Uh, like I also have already made up the boot file for the Matchbox Coco, but uh, I haven't publicly shown that one yet because uh, it's kind of introducing a feature that's on the matchbox that nobody's supposed to know yet. And I'll just the camera here a little bit. That is the matchbox. Whoa. As you can see, <laughs> the CPU type on the matchbox reports as a 6309 oh. running in 6809 mode. Oh. And that's, so that's new. Rogers actually uh, started porting over 
the actual 6309 core into the matchbox and mister. And the mister. It's not completely working yet. How's Roger doing? I don't see him on Facebook anymore. Uh, he's actually uh, gotten more into the mister project right now because he wants to get everything that he has from the matchbox onto the mister. And he's been concentrating on that uh, for quite a bit of time now. Uh, you know, one biggest problem I have with uh, Roger right now is anybody that still has a matchbox, uh, he's ta basically taken away all the actual firmware files and you actually have to pay him to get them now. Because he's got it, everything moved over to a Patreon site so that you actually have to purchase the actual uh, packages from him now. He's kind of made it from yes. an open open system to being a closed pay, pay system. But that is exciting Which, news. We do have a question in the chat from James yes. Jones, who's saying, uh, where in the DriveWire code are the remote windows implemented? Uh, that's in the DriveWire 4 server itself. Uh, the DriveWire 4 server is separate from the DriveWire 3 server. Uh, it actually adds some whole extensions into the actual system itself. Uh, one of them uh, is M-Shell itself from Bill Pierce actually uses that. Oh, so, so is that there with stock um, DriveWare 4 or is it something you added? Uh, no, that uh, was actually done. Uh, done by actual Boise he, who, and when he actually wrote the actual drivers for uh, Nitrous 9, he actually built it in uh, to the actual DriveWire for server and protocol uh, so that it actually uses all the extra stuff. Cool. Just doing a quick reboot here, so... I really want a hotkey to skip that, by the way. Uh, that's coming. <laughs> cool. Cool. It should be. I should actually have it completed uh, the next day or two. Basically, what's happening is I'm actually uh, changing the whole opening prompts for Cisco and actually changing things around so that you can have a verbose method, non-verbose method, uh, and, you know, kind of stripping down the reporting of what what is actually going on while the system is booting. Sweet, neat. And a little bit of a preview for that. Uh, shell still loading here. That's like the BIOS in my old um, PC. Yeah. You can silent boot or whatever they call it. So I basically have actually taken the uh, multi-views environment file and I've expanded it. So let's just nice. take it a second load up here. Neat sound effects. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, M shell right now is taking up a lot of uh, the CPU time right now, <laughs> loading up its system. But uh, the main thing that M shell has that uses the DriveWire 4's server uh, to actually be able to communicate from M shell directly to your PC hard drive. So you actually get the full access to your PC's hard drive for everything right off the base root of your drive C all the way through to any folder you want to go to. Is antivirus going to like that? <laughs> uh, actually, uh, the antivirus software uh, does not interfere with uh, the actual M shell or system itself uh, through DriveWire. Okay. So this is kind of a... a Quick little shot, straighten up the camera here, of the new environment file. Take it to the left a little. Yeah. A little bit more. Too busy moving my finger. A little, little bit more. A little bit more? Yeah, a little bit more. That so is. we're going to be able to throw in a control dash E and just load this? Yes. Like, uh, this is actually uh, a text file that's in the sys directory. Uh, but the ones that I've added are like your key respeed speed here, the key click. Uh, a little bit further down, there's the printer stuff for G shell, monitor type. Uh, you can actually uh, globally set your system priority, change what you want as your default data directory, your default execution directory. And these are the new ones coming where you get your verse, verbose mode, your uh, console device type, which is your slash term when you're booting, and the actual console width and height of the actual window. And also the foreground, background, and border colors that you actually want to have as your default console window, which is your term when you boot it. I wonder if other computer guys are going to see this and think that this is pretty wonderful. Uh, well, it's going to take a little bit for uh, a lot of the old users to really start to use the power of this new system go that's coming. Because you actually can set uh, the actual default palettes for all your actual palettes uh, separate from G-Shell because G-Shell has its own for the, its own G-Shell window, which is right at the beginning of the file here. And you'll see the actual G-Shell's default type, the RBF devices, the SCF devices, and the actual four-color palette that G-Shell uses for its windowing system. So you could really screw up your system playing with those, huh? <laughs> oh, it actually uh, it uses the standard RGB colors. So your first value, like you'll see on this G shell palette, is got three zeros there. It the first zero is your RGR palette. The second one uh, is your G palette, and the third is your blue palette. So your intensity of each color in each gun, and that's the same for the actual default colors. A little bit further down here. Now, these colors that I have in the default system 
are specifically for uh, RGB at the moment because that's what I use. Right. But there is actually going to be uh, a composite mode uh, version as well. So that they're the color matching between RGB and, and composite closely matches as much as we can. When, um, when, you, use, when you use VGA, um, because of the gimme chip, it's going to be RGB, right? Yes. Okay. okay. And the same, same with uh, the, um, uh, the, what's the name of the thing that Jason makes? The, switcheroo? Uh, switcheroo, yeah. Yeah, that, it'll, because uh, the switcheroo actually uses the composite signal uh, coming out of the Coco 3 to actually uh, get the timing right for RGB on the actual SCART interface. So when it, when you're actually using uh, Jason's SCART interface or uh, uh, everything like that, it actually will be the RGB colors. Okay. So now one thing I did do, as you can see here in this environment tile, is it never really was documented what each particular function does. So I just went through and I documented each keyword so that you know what you're changing. Now, is there a color chart somewhere? Uh, there's various color charts out there. Uh, that There's like there's uh, charts for actually giving you the six, the all 64 colors on screen at once so that you can actually get the RGB values. Uh, but so it's pretty... Would pretty simple with the actual color settings is the, like I said, it's the first one is red, which is your intensity from zero to three, then your green from zero to three, and then your blue from zero to three. And you just change the intensities based on, uh, on each of those RGB values to get your actual color. That kind of give you a, an easy way to explain that. <laughs> yeah. Because as you can see here in the comments, I actually have the format is R, V, and B, and there are two values from zero to three. You can also throw your uh, multi-view into maximum color mode, set your colors there, save that out, and you'll yes. see it in the G-Shell settings. Yes. Now, control in G-Shell itself is actually getting a rewrite as well so that it actually will uh, handle all of these extra new commands in there as well. So that uh, anything that's in the environment file, the actual control program in G-Shell will be able to actually modify it. Or if you're uh, old school and want to, you just go in with a standard text editor and edit the environment file. Either That's way. Very, that's very cool because I've been throwing Control-E into startup for 30 years now. And mm -hmm. I find it a very handy way to set things. Yes. Okay. And, well, there's back to M-Shell. You can actually see all the actual drives that I have in my actual system. Here. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Yeah. So what, what all do you have? Are they all um, 
I mean, the SDC isn't represented there at all. Right? Okay, well, the X series, those are the drive wire uh, drives that I have mapped in. Uh, you can actually have all 256 descriptors if you wanted to, but I just reduced it to three, uh, these four just to give you four actual images. Okay. Now, the one thing with the drive wire drives, uh, the way it's actually set up is each of those drives can be an actual hard drive image. So in this case, on the actual drive wire server, I actually have uh, the actual uh, images mounted for the RTSI archive, uh, which I have on X0. Jeez, the whole archive? Yep, the whole archive. All, uh, I actually was able to retrieve uh, everything from RTSI, uh, also from CompuServe's uh, file system, and also from Princeton University's uh, archive that they had as well. It's three terabytes? <laughs> uh, getting pretty close. It's actually uh, like my system right now when I'm running, I actually have, with the DriveWare system, I actually have five hard drives going. Wow. <laughs> well, that kind of gives you a quick little rundown of the drive wire that's now actually built into the actual Ease of U6 uh, beta that's coming. Uh, and then you're going to be able to play MP3s. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, actually, it's uh, Altmuse's uh, own format, which is... Uh, they call uh, the extension is UME, mm -hmm. uh, but the, any uh, Bill Pierce has actually got. I've lost count of them already. I think there's probably about sixty or seventy discs of all yes. kinds of different music. Wow! And it's all MIDI. And so that is the. I believe that's the uh, default function when you open Ultimuse. Yes. Um, is slash MIDI, it, so it, you'll be able yeah, to... Yeah, if it um, detects DriveWire, it defaults it to the actual DriveWire's MIDI driver. If if you have the MIDI Maestro pack, that's a different setting in Ultimus, and we can, if you have yes. any questions, you can talk to us on Discord. While you have M-Shell up, though, I just want to mention, uh, is this the M-Shell from the Ease of Use the, the, Yes, uh, distro. this is uh, the ease of use uh, version of M-Shell, which is the latest that Bill Pierce has released. Yeah, so it is it is functional as you're as you're demonstrating. I would mention that that all the menus are are gone from the top. So, oh, yeah. So to those of you who who open it up and go, wait, is this all it is? Um, there's a there's those are the problems that I just menus want are there. It's just they're hidden for some reason. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> no, it, ha good, good it has point. to be fixed, but I just wanted yeah. to point, point that out. People see this and they and they open it up and start playing around with it. We Curtis is aware of it and and trying to work with uh, Bill Pierce. You know, this will be uh, amazing at uh, Coco Fest to have uh, you guys have a demonstration. You know, and we can ask questions and spend hours learning <laughs> yes that's true like uh pouring your could, brain out like i could really like uh, i don't know why amshell was acting up today but uh, it was actually given my, the menu across the top there 
uh, oh, it was. I just don't, yeah, I just don't know why oh, it wasn't doing it. Well, maybe you'll figure figure that out before. Uh, oh yeah, I'm I'm sure. And that's just a matter of talking with Bill Pierce and doing a little extras there. Now, that's pretty much it for the actual drive wire, but I do want to mention uh, something. Uh, Brian here, though, uh, Weasler. Uh, last night, I had some extra time, uh, so I actually... Uh, we I got a hold of Alan DeCock uh, about two years ago, and asked him if he had anything left from any of his library for what he actually had going for Nitrous 9. Mm-hmm. And he was able to actually retrieve a whole hard drive full of actual stuff. And the one Ooh. key thing that you, uh, Brian will be interested in is I actually, uh, Alan had the last known copy of all the eliminator drivers uh, for the WD-1002, the boot images for the WD eliminator, all the drivers for the eliminator for the RS-232 pack, Mm. our ports in it, and also the printer port in it. Curtis Boyle has one too. uh, uh, He has part of it. He doesn't have it all. Uh, Can I ask a question? Uh, Because you just mentioned printer and I don't forget but so does that mean that the printer port for um, going to drive wire is going to work yes it is working yes it actually uh, I've got the drive wire uh, server set up just to open up a text file and dump whatever you send out from the printer port on drive wire through to that text file so it basically ends up as a straight text file and are you are you testing with pi drive wire at all uh, although it should be, I uh, haven't tested with PyDriver yet because I don't actually have PyDriver server set up on any of my machines right now. Okay, uh, but I do have a Raspberry Pi that I'm actually going to set up the drive uh, PyDriver on it and see if it actually functions 100%. I'm pretty sure it does because I'm uh, Mike. I'm, I know he's been pretty adamant in getting it to match the drive wire server as much as possible. Yes. And, uh, and, and sorry, you were, you were starting to go into something about, um, um, the, Oh yeah. Uh, the other key thing that I, I did find on Alan's source uh, listing is that guy right there. Hmm. It is a fully operating level three nitrous nine. So this is the one where you unlock the 64K system RAM? Yes, uh, where it actually puts RBF and its drivers and SEF and its drivers into two separate 16K workspaces that uh, the system automatically switches between the two whenever you're accessing so I've actually, since I actually found that last night, uh, uh, I've, it actually even contains pieces of the source code of what needs to be changed in Kern module, the clock module, and IOMAN. Does that mean the 64K barrier is broken? 
uh, it will be unlocked a lot more uh, than what it is now, which is the nice thing. So uh, I ran some tests with it la last night. I don't actually have a, a working demo that I could use today, but uh, it actually ends up being uh, where the actual main system task actually has uh, 13K of system ramp uh, map free. And then of course the system map for RBF and then system map for RB, uh, SEF are still at about 16K as well. So maybe you could cram DriveWire in the RBF thing? Uh, <laughs> actually, the reason why Level 3 actually disappeared uh, was when DriveWire actually came out. Uh, oh. DriveWire, the DWIO module is used both by RBF and by SEF. So you would actually have to duplicate DWIO into those two memory spaces for each so it it's a little tricky getting that one in going I'm yeah, trying to, room. Hey. <laughs> yeah I, i'm trying to figure out a, a easy way to actually do that one so nitrous nine and seven maybe level three uh i'm depends on how fast i can actually do the conversion uh for level three on the current ease of use to see you know, if there's going to be any other outstanding issues. Yep, that's pretty cool. And uh, the one other thing that I noticed about Alan's source code uh, disk is this guy down at the bottom here, the SBF driver, which is actually the sequential block file manager which was a very early version of a networking system for the COCO. Hmm. It actually uh, uses an, an actual network card. We might need that again. So yes. I was really surprised to see that, uh, that he had the actual source for that one. Because I heard about it, but I never could find a copy of it. The actual raw executable or the binary for it. But Westgale actually did actually acquire it. I don't know what, from where or where he got it, but it, it does still exist. Nice. So how is Alan doing these days? Alan DeCock. Uh, he's, he's still uh, in Ontario. Uh, he's basically gotten out of the actual cocoa wall together. Uh, he's gotten more down to, you know, his own personal life there. Because I think he's got his daughter now and uh, he's kind of taking care of her. And he's into other uh, more, uh, he's still into the computers, but not with the actual cocoa anymore. <laughs> No, um, I have a um, a uh, text file from the 1990 with him in it from uh, CompuServe. <laughs> yeah, I found Curtis Boyle too. I showed yeah. Curtis. <laughs> yeah, because I I still talk with Alan every once in a while through Facebook. Uh, that's uh, the only place that I've actually been able to get a hold of him, and through do, email do you as think well. Do you think he'd ever want to come on and chat with us? 
I've been trying to convince him of that, uh, but it's just getting his schedule and everybody else uh, at the same time all together. Yeah. <coughs> so, um, and the other thing that I did also find on this disc from Alan is, uh, I can't remember who was, uh, one of the, there was a uh, person on the panel that actually got a hold of an actual Sardis controller, uh, which was that no hull controller that had the built-in uh, RAM buffers. I can't remember who it was, but they were looking for the actual dri uh, drivers for that for the act that actually used the caching system built into that controller. And I found it, and we have it back. Uh, it actually gives you. A, uh, I actually had had the driver uh, and the actual controller myself. And I actually had a, a, th a full 32K cache running on the actual controller itself, which so really, really was nice. So that's blazing <laughs> fast, huh? Oh, yeah. You, you don't actually get any keyboard halt uh, as you're using that disk drive. You can carry. You type away as much as you want while the drive is being accessed. So, is this something Mister Brain might look at to reproduce sometime, or Ed? Uh, one of the two will probably uh, be interested in in recreating that. It'd be nice, actually, if the the SDC would have been no halt. Yeah. Right. Because that's the one thing I noticed when I first got my SDC. Uh, under OS 9, it actually had to shut down IRQs while it was asked, accessing the controller itself instead of actually leaving them enabled and carrying on. Geez, you know, it seems like 10 years from now, things will be so much different. It's getting there slowly. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can't even imagine what it would be like. Optane so, instead of STC. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Bill, I just want to check on the, the time and how much time that you have and what else you might want to go over. Maybe we'll... Maybe we'll... Uh, I think I pretty much covered uh, what's for the, the beta 6 of ease of use because uh, there's still some things I've got to get done for development-wise, uh, so that uh, we, from, we, we found out from a few of the testers already, like Patrick and Robert Galt, there uh, a few things that they wouldn't mind tweaked that we are actually going to do. Oh, that's great. We appreciate all your work, you and uh, Curtis. Amen. We really yes. do. For well, real. thank you much. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is great, um, and and thank you, Alan DeCock, wherever you are, for uh, for uh, providing this addi additional vault of stuff. Oh yeah, I, I I'm still going through this uh, disc, and I'm finding things that oh wow, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's exciting, and that's what we're here for, and and hopefully some of this stuff can can end up in ease of use and get in the repository and get put back, put on the Cocoa archive 
and um and you know it'll, it'll be there forever yes um well i guess we'll be we'll be uh where's the best way to kind of learn more about what you're um going to be adding for this release and future releases uh, would that be the discord server yeah it'll be on the uh, most of it will be in discord <laughs> So Nitrous 9 is uh, level 2, and uh, maybe uh, it'd be Nuclear 09 for uh, level 3. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Well, that's, you see, that's just it. Level 3 really didn't do a speed up, but what it did was it gave you more system RAM. Right. So it kind of split things into a, a little bit uh, better of an arrangement for your system RAM. It's the next progression. Yes, exactly. 64K for the everything was level one. 64K for the system was level two. Level three is where it's starting to split things apart. Open up a little more. Cool. Great. Well, is there any other questions from, I know uh, Restream Chat has been um, having problems all day, but... um, is there anyone on the panel that has a question about DriveWire or ease of use or anything else for Bill? Going once. Rock on. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again, um, Bill. Um, thank you, Ron, for uh, all the questions. And sure. why don't we do this? Because, Ron, I think you have a little bit to show us from the garage. Yeah. Yeah, just a little short thing. So let's take a commercial, um, come back with Ron's Garage, and then we'll um, final thoughts and close out the show. So I'll just run the the Beta 6 commercial here, and then uh, we'll be back shortly with Ron Delvaux, ladies and gentlemen. Drivewire. 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 Jimmy X ready. Gem Quest. MV Canvas. Home Publisher. RSV 1.3. Phantom Crab Faster Performance Sierra Homebrew Games Duster by Todd Wallace Expanded help. And much more. Take my ease of use. You let it tell me loose. You let it tell me free. Cause I'm a hard job running free. A little bit better than I used to be. Cause I'm alive. I like why you're. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. 
Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've got the comedy stylings of Mr. Ron Delvo and Ron Garage. And Ron, the floor is yours. Okay, share the screen. Oops, can't do it yet. Now you can. Go ahead. Okay. Here we go. Tell me when you see it. I am you waiting don't to see, see it. it. I clicked <laughs> on it. Dark. Darn. Not yet. There we go. Okay. See it now. See it now. You see Ron's garage now? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> Basically, uh, I made a uh, high color screen for um, Danny. In, uh, uh, I recognize that. <laughs> uh, that's a Coco One displaying in VG6 in um, Coco VGA. Pretty neat, huh? That's pretty good for a Coco One image, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty neat. Uh, it was the right contrast and stuff. Because sometimes if you do it, you can get a pretty crappy picture. But this particular picture happened to be pretty colorful and contrasty. It just worked out nice. And then um, this is a modern Coco setup these days with uh, my, um, what's the name of uh, our adapter? The, the Switcheroo and um, VGA and uh, SDC and still have hard drives because I've been converting some uh, floppies, um, mostly text files of uh, VBSs I used to go on. And then I just read through them, and it brings back memories back in the 90s and the 80s of all that stuff that's cool. Then I noticed uh, one day I was looking at my um, manual for the Coco 3 and noticed they have old Coco 1 graphics in there. How cheap is that? They just, well, it's a color computer, you know. So they, <laughs> <laughs> so they just use the old graphics. And there's many instances. This is just one. Probably one of the actually that pages. almost looks like a video text because there's not a cartridge slot on the side and it looks yeah, like there is a modem right? button. At yeah, the top. Yeah. There's yeah, there's right. the, the button at the top for the for memory, you know. Yeah. So yeah. So I have discs in there for the I update it for Danny's uh, pictures. They're on my uh, files section. This is a one for the Coco three high color. That came up really, really, really well. good. Really well. Oh, really, yeah. Of course, we're not looking at the bits because if I get close, you know, it's a little rough. But this is in VCC, and I have to. Um, hey, if you look, if you look close at me in real life, it's a little rough anyway. So that works. <laughs> 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 That's cool. <laughs> all right. So um, yeah, but the sky is nice. You, you know, the complexion. It's all good. I don't know what you used on there, but. And anyway, that, was, with, that was that was actually taken with my phone. Oh, that, cool! That photo, yeah. And this is an eBay purchase I made in 2002 from uh, Boise. It's a uh, the newer box color computer three, and just recently uh, one went for what 600 bucks. And uh, this is the this picture. Can you see my cursor? Yeah. 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 Okay. So this box here was that. I just erased some of the around the edge of it and uh, he had taped it all up and there's a shipping um, pack uh, label and on there it shows uh, when I got or when he shipped it in 2002 
So I thought that was cool. I thought I'd share it on my site. Then I did uh, Charlie Brown on um, both Coco 1 and Coco 2 and, you know, VG6 and high color. And that came out pretty good. I, I didn't include the text on the VG6 because uh, it got, gets to be too small and looks ugly and you can't read it. Good grief, Ron. It came out good. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh, Curtis Boyle in uh, uh, 8-24-1990 um, talking on uh, CompuServe. I got him and Alan DeCock and a bunch of other people that uh, I wonder if they're still around. It was interesting to read, you know, what the concerns were of the day back then. And uh, let's see. Uh, I did some, um, this I shared to uh, different places, uh, the earth and the moon. Um, back in the day, all we could do is either draw uh, the planets or um, if, if somebody had a program that they made these up. I mean, there weren't, we didn't have pictures on our old cocos, but now we can do it. So I've been scanning a lot of space stuff and even stuff that I do with my um, telescope and put it on the cocoa. And I think that's just so cool. I'm just thrilled with it. I'm excited about that. I like doing that. Back that in the shot day. Of, oh, so I was going to say ahead. that shot from that shot of the, uh, of the earth from the moon. That, oh, I love that shot. I've always loved that. Photo. Yeah, this one. Yeah. 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 That's from one of the Apollo flights. Nice yeah, my point. favorite, my favorite was the one taken of the limb descending yeah. on Apollo 11, because that includes yep. everyone except Michael Collins. Right, exactly. <laughs> the whole world. <laughs> the entire yep. humanity, Buzz and Neil, yep. not Michael Collins. <laughs> it's true. And then, <clears throat> this is the DS-69, um, uh, back in the day. I don't know why I was showing the video, but back in the day, I, I did a lot of stuff, and I'll, I'll show you some coming up. Ooh, that's pretty. Uh, I, I'm, I'm able to take my cover off of my um, uh, TDP-100 and put on the gray, gray one and stuck a uh, silver multi-pack on it. If you were to see this at, a, at an angle in the front, you'd see the bottom is white. But I, I never show that. But it looks like I've got a, a gray cocoa here. But this is actually a TDP 100. It looks great. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. Have but, you got? Is that the? Is that cocoa VGA sticker? Is that stuck on it? Or is it just no? It's there? just it's just a card laying there. Sometimes it's yeah, over not... here. Sometimes it's here. Sometimes it's on the multi pack. That's exactly what I do with mine when I'm showing yeah. it too. Now this yeah. is my very first cocoa which had the same uh, um, uh, mark data uh, keyboard, and it had a little switch there um, that I had back in the day. The only thing I have left is this multi-pack, but um, that was my setup back in the day, and I digitized that picture. And I did my wife and my mother-in-law and them together and me back in the day. And I just ran across these recently. Um, they were in with uh, all of my text files that I was um, – copying to the SDC. So it was kind of cool to see these again. I hadn't seen them in 30 some years, you know? That's so cool. that was cool. And, is that um, the, the switch on that one? Is that, that's a reset switch I'm guessing? Yeah. It's, it's a little red switch, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it was a um, momentary switch. So it, it did reset. 
Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Then I, I made this, uh, I found this, someone uh, showed it, and I thought, oh, that is so cool. So I added, because someone complained that it, oh, it isn't real if it doesn't have a red uh, brake key. Break key. So I, I went in Corel Draw and added the brake key. It's See, not it a cocoa without better. a red brake key, and I That's, will stand by that. You're welcome. <laughs> and then I went back and made a little light on there because we could do that, right? In fact, oh, I was cool. thinking nice. we could probably put a bunch of lights on here for if we had a um, you know, communications device in to show that we're uh, going back and forth on uh, RS-232, or we could have a hard drive light for a SDC if it was in there, because look at all the room we got. You know, you could have a sizable power supply in here, a cocoa motherboard, and um, maybe even slots on the back to have uh, a multi, you know, multi-pack built in. Don't forget to make cool. it peril sensitive. So, it's, you know, if something bad is about to happen, it, it runs away. Yeah, it's, it's the actual <laughs> whole size of a desk anyway. <laughs> if you think of it. And, uh, yeah. So I don't know. It uh, looks cool though. It does. Yeah. It definitely looks cool. Yeah. yeah. So if you ever get a, a chance to go to um, some of the sites that I've made, some of the uh, go hit media, and then what's really cool is everything shows up as a tile, and uh, you'll see thousands of pictures, thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures, and it's really pretty <laughs> neat because there's just so much stuff I put up. And it's just amazing to look at, you know. And then if you see something you like, you click on it and you find out what it is I was actually doing at the time. Hey, Ron, is Ferret Buster a Coco game? I don't know what that is. Well, it was one of your pictures. Oh. The Ferret Buster. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. And I know, Ron, you also post some images in the artwork channel yeah. of our Discord yep. server. Yes, I'd have done that too because uh, I think Steve wants to push it all the time. So he says, put some stuff in there. So mm -hmm. I, I do it. Right. You'll go far, Delbo. Yeah. <laughs> You'll go far. Okay, I have all these opening um, screens for your color, color computer in very different uh, ideas. You know, if you got a 512K or 128, and it, you can make it easily show up on your um, SDC. Yeah, so I've had lots of fun. I every day I find stuff that I can do, or I become a little creative and come up with something. You know, I'll make a a, a game banner like this, and um, I, I'd like to do more of that in the future for some games. You know what? Um, one of the guys in our group has taken uh, the SDC um, labels and has done some awesome artwork with those. Have you seen that? The oh, S you for the uh, little tiny uh, yeah SDCs. Yeah, they SD look like pack. little floppies when you start. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, those are nice. Yeah, and I've got all these cocos, you know, that are put away, and I'll bring one out and I'll take pictures of it and I'll look at it, and then I found out one day that uh, there was um, different embossing on the back compared to white cases. That was neat to see, you know. So anyway, that's it. I won't bore you guys no more. Um, <laughs> I oh, hey, can I bore here. you for a second? <laughs> I got one of these things. I, I got a 3D printer, right? And I, I printed out, like, some uh, cartridge shells for these, uh, you know, for these little uh, Cocoa EEPROM pack boards. Okay. You know? And uh, so, you know, for speaking of drive wire, uh, this is basically a little present for somebody. Uh, it's a 
HDB DOS for Coco 3 cart. There you go. Oh, I got a I got a okay. couple of drive wire cables that I knocked together too. So, you know, it's going to be a happy Christmas for for little Mister Anthony Courtney. <laughs> you probably <laughs> see him looking around on the Facebook and everything. He was the youngest member of our Coco Club. So, great. HDB DOS. This is like Mark One. I just I got it an old. Uh, color file cartridge to put it in but 3d printer baby (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately i'm gonna have to redraw that because there's not enough interior space in that design did you draw that oh you're the one who did that no someone else drew that but they Uh, the bosses inside are so big that my designs won't fit inside of it i need to redraw it (laughs) oh i see because i used to take carts and dremel tool out the internal stuff and you know? <laughs> well, I found out it was Sockmaster that did it. Ah, oh, cool. It's a really great little design. Uh, prints really nice on a, a 3D Pro. You know, and, and those uh, those little boards, I think the guy's uh, name uh, is pronounced Nexus 6 or something like that, uh, who designed these little boards. That, that was a really great little, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the little Gerbers for those are... You know, I mean, you can get them made at just about any shop and make your own carts. And you know, I don't know if you're if you're going to be doing drive wire on a Coco Three, you might as well have a cart. It, if you don't have a Coco SDC all fired up, of course. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I actually, nice Ali, I, I got one for my Coco Two, where and instead of HDB DOS, I did uh, RGB DOS into it. Oh yeah, that's a good. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think RGB DOS is one of the things people flash on their Coco SDCs a lot. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Just the idea of making your own carts in 2020. I never thought, you know. Hey, how how hard right. is it, you guys, to um, put ADOS on uh, my um, SDC controller in one of those slots? I have an ADOS made of Coco. You know, it's, it's just ADOS, so it doesn't really work well with... Uh, Coco three, but I could use it for Coco two when it's in a Coco two. But well, maybe, um, uh, if if you can burn it as a ROM, then you know yeah. you I, totally do I, it. I have it as a ROM, and I took and copied it off. Um, I did it with Paul um, Barton. I was at his house, and and I have it now on a um, you know on um, on a SDC as a file, as a bin file. So how do I, I tried putting it in one of the um, slots, but it, it didn't work. When I went to it, it doesn't actually boot up. Interesting. What's, what's the trick? Well, did you, uh, the, the little boards have jumpers on them. Did you jumper it so that it's auto boot? No, I don't want it to auto boot. I just want to put run at like uh, seven and then I have see. it come up, but it doesn't come up. It's a blank I think you screen. have the exec, like that three, two, uh, whatever number, you know, the one that exec- executes a ROM packs. Yeah. Yeah, you you type that in and it'll just go to the start address of the ROM pack and and uh, begin to, uh, running that. Hmm. I thought well, it, auto- automatically it. Did it Yeah, I thought you could you can copy that into one of the flash slots. That's what I'm talking about. I did that. It sounds uh, like you didn't do it right. Well, I don't. What what other way is there to do it than to uh, use the flash? I, I think that would be something that would be best handled off offline. I think there's a lot to go into there, but right. Yeah, so I forget what the word. What's the word again? Uh, some kind of food <laughs> broccoli. 
broccoli. Asparagus. 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 Speaking of asparagus, um, is there anyone else on the panel that, uh, you know, has something uh, that, uh, you know, can't wait till next week? I just want to make sure. Um, Danny, you're good. Uh, We heard from Allison. Yep. Thanks. Thank you, Allison. Uh, Brian Shubring, you're okay, Chet. Alan? I'm good. They save the best for last. Always. <laughs> Great. Well, um, well th- thank you, everybody. I uh, really want to thank Bill Noble, who's still on the panel, L. Curtis Boyle, yep. Alan DeCock making a, an appearance in a, in a sort of way today. Thank you, Alan. Um, you can find Ron Delvaux on his 75 Facebook uh, groups group pages <laughs> it's true and push the button frank <laughs> uh along I, have, with, I have a request for the closing credits jason's so salty uh, today i suck at the motion um <laughs> is speaking of facebook you can go there is a nitrous nine a page on facebook where where bill pierce chris burke um many other luminaries are on there to answer your questions we also have our discord server at uh discord.cocotalk.com dot live please join us there there's a whole bunch more that we were not able to demo today there's a lot in ease of use beta 6 coming out and uh stay tuned and really excited to have all of you here today i would um like to not thank restream io for breaking the chat and uh <laughs> giving me uh, uh some uh agita and uh making uh, over the course of the show as our chat was not working uh, but I do see Lord Dragon out there. Thank you, uh, Todd Wallace, for and everyone else who, who was in the chat, and Brian Weasler and all the rest of the folks that, that were on the panel. Uh, Marco, appreciate um, all your help uh, out there uh, dealing with the chat situation and bringing those questions up to the forefront. And we will see y'all um, out there on Facebook and, and Discord. And Mark Bosley, thank, uh, thank you. And anyone else I forgot, uh, it's been a long show. But we'll see you, and it's uh, exciting. And see you on the other side, everyone. See ya. Good day. Bye-bye. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to CocoTalk at CocoTalk.live. CocoTalk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because CocoTalk is rocking the 8-bit world. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Cocotalk is rocking the 8-bit world. 
Cutthroat Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marenkis, Ron Delvo, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Stegney, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Different Daffer for making my head explode. help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. 